Attention, everyone. This is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn on your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go. Do we want to get right? What's this, you say? What is this thing that I'm hearing? This is Rock Out Loud. It's the rockin'est podcast in the land. And apparently, we're we're still going to hold off on saying it's back. But can we say, you know, two episodes in the span of like two weeks? That's, that's, That's fresh and new. So this is exciting stuff. We're we're back on Rock Out Loud. It is the Rockinest podcast in the land. It's the podcast where we take a look at the music you love, the music we love, and uh, the music that just jams, as it were. And uh, we're so glad to be. In fact, I believe we had someone email and say that we are a repository of classic rock history, and I'm glad to be so. My name's Steve, and with me is the Rockinest chick in the land. It's Kristen in Jersey. What's going on, Kristen? Hi, everybody. And like Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. Two out of... <laughs> well, what are the two out of... Oh, the repository of classic rock history. <laughs> well, no, it's been like two out of three weeks we've done a rock Oh, yeah. Loud. Oh, it's awesome. It's it's fantastic, <laughs> you know? And, and let's let this breathe. So that's what we're all about. We're getting rocked here tonight on on a, or today. Whenever you're listening, it's tonight as we record live at mixler.com slash goalaverse. And we want to welcome all the Mixler Zoo crew standing in, stepping in, and listening in with us. And um and and it's it's just good to be here. It's good to be doing this thing. And and right out of the gate, our our friend S underscore A underscore D um has asked a question in the chat. You got you guys find any great rock songs that came out in the last year? I mean, when did that last Struts record come out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, I'm, you guys know, we're way more about like the classic rock than we are right. the new rock. Right. Um, but there's a lot of records that are going to be coming out this year. Like, I'm super stoked for the Kaleo record um, because that's finally going to come out and I can't wait Mm -hmm. uh the new killers record is probably going to come out this year which is amazing the struts are working on a record i mean who knows what my chemical romance is doing so we shall see and def leppard's coming out with a live dvd cd this year not new songs but whatever well they're hey def leppard great live last time i saw them and i guess it's been four years ago Oh, so good they're so it's they just announced it today which is february 27 five years ago i guess it is the DVD for Live from London, and then they're doing Vegas. So they're doing their show at the O2 Arena in England, where they did Hysteria start to finish. And then they're going to do their Vegas residency, which they went deep, Steve. They performed We Belong off the self-titled record, where they all have a verse. They performed that in Vegas, and I would have died. Didn't Now, it wasn't in Vegas where they were doing like the, their own opening act, was it? The Dead Flatbird? So that was in Vegas, but not this time. Okay. Yeah. All right, because I, I know I they were doing Dead like Flapper. some of that old stuff. 
Um, this is something that Kristen introduced me to that I don't, I guess it came out in the past year. I don't know. That's Dirty Honey. It's called When I'm Gone. And, and the hook on that song is just out of this world. It's got They're good. It's got such a that well I mean that song alone has just such a great hook. And um they are uh, Kristen I was actually doing the Big Honkin show and Kristen texted me and said, "Have you heard this dirty honey?" And I'm like, "What? No." <laughs> <laughs> so immediately So immediately on the show we play it and I was not disappointed. It was good stuff. I mean, I know what you're going to like. Also, while we're shouting out like new bands, like I'm just saying, there's a band called Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, I think it is. I know it's Tuck Smith. There's too many words after his name. But he was the ex-lead singer of Biters, who I loved. And he's opening up for the stadium tour this summer with Motley and Def Leppard. And I think you would love him too, Steve. Mm. Very like power pop rock. Oh, power pop rock. I am so there. Yes. You talking about like a Brian Adams kind of feel? Um, a little, so I, he says that he's like Brian, if Brian Adams and Joan Jett had a baby. Okay. That's, hey. that's, that's what he's going for. All right. Um, is there a song? Um, yeah, hang on. Let me pull up something. I just I pulled up get... YouTube here and it says, what kind of love? What kind of love? Roll it. Well, let's... yeah, I hear the. <laughs> I mean, they are, um... You didn't even get to the hook. I'm sorry. <laughs> well... I mean, that's some good stuff. They, it sounds like, it sounds like the guitar riff from, uh, or the guitar chords from, um... I feel like it's Love Stinks, damn... Look what Teddy said in the chat. I heard a little love stinks. In yeah, that. there's a little love stinks. As it opens up, it definitely does have that Joan Jett kind of feel with that, with the chords opening up and everything. The dude looks like he kind of looks like um, uh, Rob Thomas in the face. So uh, so funny that you should say that. Um, Angie the other day was like, "You have a type," because I showed her, <laughs> and I'm like, "Shut up." But like he is like he's such a good dude. Like I said, like he used to be the singer of Biters mm -hmm. and I loved them. I went to see them live a bunch. Like he's from the South. He has he like Steve, he's like you, just like that very southern, like kindness, very nice, very fun. Um and yeah, like this isn't biters, biters was a little bit heavier, but hey, I I can't stand some like, you know, or I can't uh resist some, you know, sugary pop rock. Well, you know? yeah, yeah. Look, and especially if it's got that eighties feel to it, it 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 does. And 
And and that did like that felt like a little bit of a, like just the chords and everything did feel like hey we're gonna throw in, and especially knowing the the like the what kind of love and the, and all that talk it does it does make sense that they would kind of homage give an homage to Love Stinks in there. And, um, that's I love funny. it. Apparently that record is gonna come out in like June. It's mm-hmm. gonna come out right before the stadium tour starts. So okay. just saying, Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, y'all. Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. All right, uh, that's all I've got from this past year. I don't, I don't really find new music. I always wait for you to find new music and tell me. <laughs> and say, hey, I this mean, is good. I have a, I have a very, very uh, thorough filter. I mean, I don't listen to a lot of new music either, and I try, I really try hard to like stuff, but sometimes it just, I can't, can't do it. Well, so. I don't, I don't want to be like the old guy that's like, you know, this music is not as good as what we had, but at the same time, it's not. <laughs> well, it is, everything that you turn on the radio and hear, there's so much of it that is filtered through, you know, an auto tune or, you know, it's produced to death. Um, and, and I guess there's some, you know, there's still some rock music out there, but it doesn't get the airtime. Like you're not going to hear it on the radio necessarily. I was just going to say, like, I mean, you watch any of these stupid award shows and it's like, oh, 21 Pilots won a rock award. And it's like, what? Who? That's not rock. Like the stuff that they put in the rock category is like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So we're in a really weird time where people consider music that is definitely not rock. Rock. I don't understand. Right. Right. So any. Yeah, that's I mean, sincerely, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I turn stuff on. I don't or they're trying around here down south. You know, they try to play all the the country sound and rock that they can. Oh, and no, no. and country no, music no. has has bled so much over into into what rock once was um, or what they thought or what they've almost become southern rock, but not quite. They're not yeah, quite like not, there. not as heavy. Right. Yeah. They're, they, they refuse to go full southern rock and they still just want to be country and so really country music a lot of times is rock music with a real bad southern draw it's so. just not it's not for me yeah now hootie and, <laughs> speaking of country darius rucker who went country he and hootie and the blowfish released a new album last year that slipped past me oh i was gonna say are you saying that like it, it's good or are you recommending that uh, to i can't I, underscore a underscore d i haven't <laughs> I haven't re- I haven't listened to it enough to recommend it just yet. We we played a track on the Big Honkin show this past weekend when I realized that Hootie put out a new album in two in November of, in fact of last year, so just about three or four months ago. And um, yeah, so but I haven't really given it enough of a listen to know if I recommend if I'm going to recommend a Hootie and the Blowfish album, I'm going to recommend Fairweather Johnson, which is the sophomore outing. After Cracked Review, everyone knows Hold My Hand and Let Her Cry and everything. But Fairweather Johnson has some really good music on it. The problem is, <clears throat> it sounds just like... every Like, it just sounds like... the. It, it's a problem, but it's also a good thing. Because you have that... There's that struggle when you have a band that you like. of You don't want them to sound too different from the album that you loved that they put out. But you don't want it to sound so much the same that it could have just been the on the... You know, the these could have just been rejected songs from the first album. It's a lose-lose situation. It really is. And so I don't know that there was enough evolution in Hootie and the Blowfish between Cracked Review and Fairweather Johnson, but I would, uh, I do recommend that album. I think it's a good one, but it's not last year. So I've gotten way off topic as I do. Um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I mean, 
it's fine. This is rock out loud. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, about we went a- on a twenty minute Joker tangent. Last <laughs> time. That's right on the marathon session. Which, by the way, thanks to everyone, we didn't meet our goal. We raised thirty four, a little over thirty four hundred dollars, almost thirty five hundred dollars, I believe we raised. Um, and and so I want to thank everyone who who gave. We reached out to Cure and. Hannah from Cure actually sent a nice thank you card to the Goliverse saying thank you for for the marathon for the sixth annual Goliverse marathon and and how much it means and and I and she actually emailed and I emailed back and said you know we didn't hear a goal was kind of disappointed not to do that and uh, she said here's three thousand dollars this is what three thousand dollars can do when it goes to Cure uh, provides thirty counseling sessions for a patient parent or sibling of someone who is, uh, you know, a patient of cancer. Uh, $3,000 provides prescriptions for 18 patients, provides 66 newly diagnosed families with a resource tote that they give these families when they enter in. It has just different things in there that they would need that will help them through the through the coming weeks and months of stuff. And $3,000 covers over half the cost of gene sequencing for one child whose cancer has relapsed. So, And they use that, of course, for the research and everything. So... There's a lot that the money can do, and next year hopefully we'll hit that $5,000 goal and do more, but we thank everyone who donated and gave. It's good stuff. Um, did we talk about David Chang emailing us? We did talk okay. about David Chang. Good. I was just glad that Chef David Chang had emailed us, um, and then we had other people asking, was the podcast over and that sort of thing, and honestly, we didn't know, but it's back, so here we go. We back. We back. So you can email us at rockoutloudpod at gmail.com, rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. And I think it was Tim Thompson who had said, um, no, I'm trying to find, was it David Chang who said this? Um, I don't know, but basically said this was a great podcast because of the way it it helps with the history and it, and it keeps the history of this stuff a lot alive so it might have been stuff. matthew hardinger yeah i just he says i just started listening now granted this was back in june i geek out on rock history we we need to respect and appreciate that music more than ever so we're geeking out on rock he- history with this guy with old matthew hardinger and uh and i'm glad to be doing so and a piece of history that we were going to geek out on on this particular episode <laughs> was the band called Aerosmith. Now And then and then and then Chris <laughs> And then we decided let's talk about Bruce Springsteen instead. No, we're still talking about Aerosmith. I know, I know. Just a really weird coinkadink. I know, I know. Um Kristen sends me a text today and she's like, hey, here's a neat Bruce and Aerosmith connection. Uh their first albums were both released on the same day uh under the same record label yep and 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 we were talking and she said so we could do like a segment about how the you know compare and contrast but i said that could be the whole show (laughs) and so now that's the whole show that's the whole show guys (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna go back to uh, these these opening volleys of albums that were released with with uh, obviously I mean, I, I'm trying to think back to, to like listening to Bruce's book and everything. Surely these guys had demos and stuff that they were putting out there and maybe selling it. I mean, it was a different world back then, of course. Like, it cost money to go to get a demo pressed 
and and that sort of thing if you wanted to do something kind of professional. So I don't I don't know if they were selling music on, you know, before they would Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not, you know, they weren't handing out CDs. Like if you right. had a CD, you were signed by a label. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> a label did that for you. Right. Yeah. So so these albums were released as we said on the same day, Bruce's Greetings from Asbury Park. And then, Aeros- and then Aerosmith's self-titled album, both released on January 5th, 1973. What a great day. <laughs> oh, yeah, your birthday. So, <laughs> just a few years too early. Um, I know. What a, that would have been such a good birthday present. R- w- would it have been? Uh, well, yes. I, I don't want to get overly critical of these albums because obviously... <laughs> You know, but uh, you're gonna. But well, because obviously they both led to great things, and I th- I don't know. I sincerely don't know whose journey was longer to to lead into those great things, because you know, I, just re- listening back to Bruce's book and everything, like it was a real struggle going yeah. into that third album. Like there was a lot of pressure to perform and succeed. It was um, literally if you don't do anything on this record, if you do not sell this record. You're done. Have fun in the bar scene for the rest of your life. Right. And and toys. Could you imagine? <laughs> Good. Yeah, there would be no there'd be no Bruce on Broadway. That's for sure. No, there'd be no Steve going to see Bruce in Atlanta. Uh, that would what? And what would I have done that night? I would have sat at home and podcasted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we did that the next night. So um, we we did. It wasn't long after, was it? No, it was literally the night after. <laughs> um. So, that was a great show, though. I'm not gonna lie; it was, it was such it was a great so show. Fun. All right, so but in but in a, in a lot of ways, I think Aerosmith was kind of in the same boat, um, because they had they they hit with their self titled album, and then the second I'm trying to pull up their discography here really quickly because I remember I was actually doing research for an Aerosmith show look at you steve yeah their their second album get your wings which came out a year later um it broke the top 100 on on the charts but it got to only got to 74 and it would be toy and it would be toys in the attic that would you know get into that top 20 it it peaked out at number 11 uh now look it's gone obviously you know since they've come out the Aerosmith has gone two times platinum, but Toys in the Attic is eight times platinum. You I know. mean, it's a big one. Right, so to speak. Again, um, that third record, man, we talked yeah. about it with Bruce. Like, that third record is where both of these bands really kind of found their footing. Right, and so I don't know, though, if if they had the same kind of... Because they were also... They didn't have the same kind of money poured into them either that Bruce had. Uh, No. <laughs> I I literally I was telling Steve like I watched a documentary about Aerosmith and they said like these albums came out on the same day and for like every one dollar that the record company gave to um, Aerosmith for promotion and all that sort of stuff they gave a hundred towards Bruce Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and so but now what's interesting is is when you look at the at the peak chart position for the Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle, that uh, Bruce, uh, Springsteen's second album, it peaked at fifty nine, so it actually charted higher 
than Aerosmith. But with the money they were putting into Bruce, it wasn't high enough. Yep. And and so, <clears throat> so but then Born to Run peaked at number three. And then it just it went off. Well, then it's you gone. Time it's, and Newsweek and all the craziness. Right, and it's gone, and and it and it charted that year worldwide in in 1975. Um, six times platinum U.S., two times platinum in Australia, two times platinum in Canada, gold in New Zealand, uh, or not? I mean, the Netherlands, platinum in New Zealand, platinum in the U.K. So I mean, this is you know that Born to Run was a monster record. Yeah. You know, and then Bruce also was not known for the problems of the rock and roll lifestyle that Aerosmith would become to be known for. No, they were, they were essentially literally two opposite sides of a coin. Mm -hmm. Like Aerosmith was, we're going to party and be rock stars and drugs, chicks, booze, all that. And then you have Bruce who is known as like, you know, the boss Mm -hmm. who, when he had band members that were getting a bit too rowdy, he would crack the whip. Yeah, and that's and you know, and I, I go back to his book. That's it. You know, he always said it's all about the music. It's all about the music, and and so when you got off when you got off that that path, it, it was a problem. With Aerosmith, it was the rock and roll. I mean, it was the rock and roll lifestyle, and Aerosmith had to have that comeback that they had thanks to Run DMC. Mm-hmm. You know, to really kind of come back into the public eye and and. And 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 have their really their second run at life, you know, um, through into the in you know the eighties into the nineties and everything, and they still have been up and down, you know. Aerosmith has they they've they've been on kind of shaky ground ever since, to be honest yep. with you. I mean, Girls of Summer, eh, just was like <laughs> eh, not not so great. But. Well, I'm just talking about personal lives and everything too. Like, oh, well, you know. yeah, you mean like you know. Steven Tyler, when that meme of Steven Tyler looks like someone's grandma. Right. <laughs> Honestly, though, like, I love it. And I'll tell you why. Like, if that's your look and that's what, like, because, I mean, Steven Tyler is kind of always dressed like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just because, you know, he's 70 or almost 70 now, like, I mean, that's going to be me. Like, I'm still be wearing crazy stuff when I'm 70. That's just who I am. So, you know what? You do you, Steven. <laughs> I appreciate you. Well, I mean, look, Steven Tyler would fit right in nowadays you know in a lineup with uh Mick Jagger and Keith Richards you know and and he would and you could have probably dressed him as a pirate and put him in those pirate movies just like they did um Keith Richards (laughs) it's so funny though because I mean like Again, like two sides of a coin, like Aerosmith very much about like the look and you have Steven Tyler and you have the scarves on the mic stands like they looked like a rock band, like Mm -hmm. quote fingers, like what you think a rock band would look like. And then you have Bruce, who literally just looks like a normal person. And then even now, like Bruce walks around Asbury Park and doesn't even get noticed because he's so low key, whereas like Steven Tyler's walking around, you're like. One, that is an interesting outfit. And then you're like, oh, my God, because that's Steven Tyler. <laughs> like, he's not getting the Bruce incognito mode treatment, you know? Right. And, and, and two, you get to their shows, and it's a whole different thing. You know, oh God, like yeah. it's it's not and not just because of the music, but also the aura. Because that's in the because the one thing I said about Bruce from, you know, from the get go, especially after seeing him, was this is a guy who is as cool as anybody cooler than anybody in the room, and he's smiling, you know, and you don't associate the smiles 
with um with with the super cool you know who rock out and though steven tyler's up there dancing around and doing his thing and strutting and and slinging that mic stand around and all the way he does you know you still don't get just the the joy of of the music that oozes off of him the way that it does of bruce you know what's interesting though like you talking about the live show like both of these bands literally like made their reputation through touring live mm-hmm. and like through gaining an audience through their live performances. Yep. So again, it's like, and you know, I'm sure there's bleed over in the fandoms, right? Like even in the seventies, you probably had people that were into both, but they definitely speak to very um, different, like in terms of what you're looking for with the show, because I mean, you watch Bruce's shows from the seventies. Like he's literally like wearing his heart on his sleeve mm-hmm. on stage. Like the shows are so raw and like, so just like astounding. And then you have Aerosmith who are just going to come out and they're literally just going to attack you like a machine gun, you know, <laughs> right. like they're not going to stop. Like they're relentless where Bruce is not so much about that. Like I'm going to hit you and keep hitting you. Bruce is like, you're going to come on this ride, get in the mm-hmm. car. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Now let's put the record on. <laughs> right. Right. And and so it's just it's such an interesting trajectory for both of these um, artists that, you know, that, that Bruce is on Broadway this past year. And who knows where Aerosmith's going to show up? You know, who knows if they're going to make their next concert or not you know, because of. The, you know, lingering effects and that sort of thing. But th- they both had, honestly, Kristen, I feel like they both had kind of auspicious starts as it pertains to their studio albums. I completely agree. And so I, I figure we'll, let's, let's give it a listen. Um, do we want to go, well, Aerosmith has eight yep. tracks and Bruce has nine. So do we want to go, I guess it, we'd need to go Bruce first. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll end with Bruce. And then we'll end exactly. <laughs> well, I done. mean, I I didn't make a playlist that like showcases all this because I'm right. psychotic today. <laughs> well, we're just <laughs> all right. Well, this is the opening track from Greetings, uh, Greetings, and that's how we'll be referring to the album the rest of the time. Um, because Steve's a true fan, so he <laughs> could just say Greetings. He doesn't have to say the whole thing. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just thinking about, you know, for time's sake and everything. <laughs> so, no, greetings is what we call it. In that's Bruce right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I'm glad to know that. So here we go. And this is Blinded by the Light. This is a familiar song to everybody. Summer with a teenage diplomat in the dumps with the mumps as the adolescent pumps his way into his hat. With a boulder on my shoulder, feeling kind of older, I trip the merry go round with this very unpleasing sneezing and wheezing. The calliope crashed to the ground. Spot 
So most people are familiar with the cover of this song. Yes. Um, I mean, it's the only number one song he's ever had is the cover version. <laughs> is that a true story? It is a true fact. Oh wow, that's not even not even uh, born in the USA. Nope. Wow. Bruce is convinced it has to do with the word "man friend man changed," which you know we're family friendly on this show, so I'm not going to say it, but you could look it up. Right. Well, also, I mean. I will say this, like, obviously, because I'm used to the Manfred Mann version, because that's the one that gets all the airplay on classic rock stations and everything. Um, when when you get, though, down to the to the musical side of things, I really dig the groove that they've got going on that song. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, it has a it has a fun little groove to it. And with now now the cover. You know, it comes in, you know, blinded. They just start with that. You know, <laughs> like we're just going to go hard. Right. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and so, and then they kind of get into the lyrics, but like the chorus takes center stage in Manfred Mann's version. Um, not here. Not here at all. Like it, here you go like through three different verses before you finally get to that chorus. And and it's fine, you know, like because what that does is that really, um, well, it does what you want to do with Bruce music. It it highlights the lyrics of the song. Yeah, buddy. You know, so it does. And it's just like the the rhyme scheme there. Like Bruce could have been a rapper. Well, here's the crazy thing: is like if you ever want to see Bruce kind of um, break down this song, look for the storyteller's version of the song on YouTube. Um, but he literally sits there, he's like, I had a rhyming dictionary. And then at the nice. end, he's like, going through his like, at this point, the rhyming dictionary is on fire. It is in flames. I couldn't put more in this song if I tried. I mean, it's true, though. <laughs> it's one of those songs, like, you know how, um, like, bring it to the 90s, Steve. I mm-hmm. hope that you remember this song. Do you remember the song I Want You by Savage Garden, a.k.a. Uh, the Chicken You're talking Chicken about, song? you're talking about, anytime I see your face, I just close my eyes <laughs> and I'm taken to a place where the grace don't mind. The magenta feeling taking shelter in my spine, like yeah, a chicken cherry cola. cola. Yeah, I of course I'm. Re- <laughs> <in his own. laughs> yes, I just hold on tight and <laughs> yes, I remember I'm that. So the arms of the- yes, you're talking about so Savage Garden in 1997, 1998ish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's like one of those songs where like you're literally singing it, and then you get to a point in the song where you're so out of breath, and you're like, <gasps> okay. Okay. Well, it's it. Let's start over. Well, well, the thing is, is and I think I've talked about this before on some other shows. I um, love songs that have speedy lyrics like that. Yes. And I want yes. and I want to learn them. My favorite being "One Week" by Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, chicken the China, the Chinese chicken. Yeah, you have a drumstick and your brain stops sticking. Uh, <laughs> but like, and I love just looking at someone. Like, it's man, you know, because now everyone wants, wants to say the rest of it. It's bad. This is a show topic. What's that? Oh, fast lyrics? Yeah, you're talking about life is a rock, but the radio rolled me? You're talking about uh, we didn't start the fire? (laughs) Are these the kind of things you're talking about? Done. And now, and now I pull out the Marvel notebook and a pen. (laughs) 
classic while he's doing that um <laughs> like while we're at the start of the whole you know greetings from raspberry park thing like this record is meant to be the sound of the jersey shore so you hear a lot of weird stuff on it because i don't know if any of you have ever been to new jersey or been to the boardwalks here but it's a very strange place <laughs> so you hear this like weird carnival type music and like when you know the context of it, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get that. But when you're like, you know what? <laughs> My first record is going to be this weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably not going to get the most, like, worldwide commercial success with it. <laughs> right. Even though, I mean, if you, like, when we go through this record, there are so many songs on here that are staples in, like, a live brew show. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, and again, it's one of those things that, I think that it's an it, and gosh, I feel like I don't want to dump on the Aerosmith album, but I feel like because of the the way that when you listen to Greetings, you're getting Bruce. Yes. When you listen to Aerosmith, you're getting all of their influences. Yeah, you're getting some band. Right, and it and it took. Aerosmith, uh, uh, you know, their second album, they kind of break out of that. And by their third album, they've really established kind of what their sound is going to be. And they did evolve over the years, you know, into what people are really familiar with from the late 80s, early 90s, you know, mid 90s, um, you know, right up to Armageddon. Uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, am I wrong? No, it's okay. just funny. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Is Armageddon not peak Aerosmith? I mean, as far is, as the height of their popularity, that's their only number one single. Had 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 Aerosmith not had "I Don't Want to Miss a Thing," there would not have been the 1999 MTV Music Awards, where they bust through and they end up playing "Walk This Way" with Kid Rock and Run DMC. Oh, yeah. And they're throwing the mics at each other. Yes. Yeah. That was a you great know, that, performance. That was like that was the golden age of the VMAs, everybody. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was the last time it was any good. Oh man, what a time to be alive. <laughs> and that was 21 years ago. <laughs> Back in our day. Back in my day. Yeah. See, you're getting there with me, Kristen. You'll you'll get there. Once you hit 30, man. I went to a store the other day and I'd show my ID, and this girl was like, Oh my god, there's no way you're 30. You just look so incredible for 30. I'm like <laughs> 430. I know 30 was 60. Oh my god. 430. You look fantastic. I know. I was like, this is the most backhanded compliment I've ever yeah. heard in my life. I'm I can't like, wow, now I know how people feel. Can't believe you're so old. But you look great. You look oh, great god. to be such an old hag. Um <laughs> punk kids. See, you're about to see. You're about to see how much of punk how much punk kids are punk kids. It's coming. I, mean, I already hate children, so like it's just <laughs> amplifying. Well, here we go. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take it. If we're going to compare and contrast, we really do need to compare and contrast the albums that we came here to talk about. Yes. So, uh, here is Aerosmith from their self-titled album. This is uh, this is their first. This is the first track. It's called "Make It."
so I mean, like, I was really shocked when I put this pulled this album out, pulled this album up, and started to play it when we were planning on just doing Aerosmith song because I'm this is not Steve Tyler to me. Like, I'm like, is and I even double checked, you know, was Steve Tyler the lead <laughs> singer at this point? Because like when we did our journey, look back. Oh, you know, yes, it's yes. I was really surprised to find out that Neil Sean was doing lead vocals on some of those early albums, you know, where they were trying to really do their progressive rock stuff and everything. And and I was like, is this someone else that's not Steve Perry or Steve Tyler, I mean? And and sure enough, it's Steve Tyler. I'm like, this isn't Steve Tyler. That's the weird thing with this record is like you could play this for someone that like knows of Aerosmith. Like they know the hits, like very basic knowledge you would never think that this is Aerosmith except for literally one song. Right. Right. Like one song on this record is like foreshadowing of what's to come. Everything else, it's kind of like this band searching for an identity, mm-hmm. which I mean like for your first record, that's totally fine. Yeah. Like search for your identity. Um, but like I I was saying today, like this record reminds me of a, of a record you would hear in like a bar in a movie. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you can't place it like you can't really place who it is. Right. But you're like, yeah, this is like this is a good rock song. Like, yes. Yeah. That's the vibe I get from this record. Yes. It, it's very much it could be any rock band from this era playing playing this record like that's that's it's very much they have a very generic 70s rock sound so much so. And now Kiss was just forming around this time. Uh-huh. In fact, in January of 1973, this is when Kiss was forming. And when you listen to these opening chords here from them, from Aerosmith. That has a very Kiss feel to me. Not that it, obviously Kiss is not, they are just now forming as this album is being released. But, you know, you can really kind of say, okay, what these guys needed was that thing that sets them apart from other rock bands. And it, it's interesting because like it's the five members. Like it's not like Joe Perry isn't in the band yet. Like Joe Perry, iconic guitar sound, mm-hmm. tone, yep. guitar hero. And again, this doesn't sound like him either. No. So it's just it's such an interesting record because Aerosmith does have such a signature sound. And I would I would love to be able to talk to them about this in particular because I you you have to wonder were they just young and and being influenced by whatever they were influenced by or were they scared to really break out and 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 show what they were capable of with the exception of the one song that we'll get to yeah because i think i mean i don't know the track listing off the top of my head Mm -hmm. but like i feel like it's one of the next few songs. It's number like, three. It's, it's the third track on the album. Yeah, it is early on the album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's and, and as you get toward the end, as you get toward some of the later tracks, there are some interesting things that do sound like you can really hear their bluesy roots. And yes. then but this is not one of those things. <laughs> this opening track is not one like they really you know, it's. I don't know if they just got. I, I'm. I haven't really dug too much into the production of it and everything, but it really does seem like that they were just kind of like, all right, this person can produce this. It'll be fine. 
Yeah, like, you know. let's just, we just got to get in a studio, put something together so we can get out on the road. Right. That's what it feels like. It feels like an, a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Like, we got to get a record out there so we can go out and tour it because it's not like it is today where it's the opposite. You go out on tour and then you make a record if you want to. Well, now, also, let, let me say this. The guy who produced it was Adrian Barber. This is kind of surprising to me. He He recorded the Beatles live at the Star Club in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. And he produced the Almond Brothers Band's uh, self-titled album with uh, and the Velvet Underground. And the Velvet Underground, yeah. We're on the same page. So, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> We're just here preserving classic rock history, everybody. So. Also, I do just want to say too, because I mean, the first Bruce song in this song. Um, this is not going to be like a bash Aerosmith and praise Bruce podcast, because by no means is greetings from Asbury Park a born a run, okay? Right. Well, right. Trust me. Yeah. I hate some songs on here. We'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get, we'll get there, there, everybody. I was just, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I don't have a problem with this song. Like, I'm like, okay, it rocks. I'm good. I'm good. But it was not anything like I was expecting to hear when right. I fired up the opening track of Aerosmith's debut album. It's just the least, like, controversial, offensive, like, uh, it's like a Nickelback record, you know, where it's just like, it's that. It's the most basic, simple thing. That's what this gives me. Where, like, I feel like if they would have opened, I mean, we keep alluding to it. I mean, if they would have opened up the record with Dream On, then you're like, oh. Yeah, here's here's something that will define them for for years to come, for sure. Yes, whereas this, you're like. All right. I mean, because I, I, I imagine it like, okay, you're like a record exec like in the 70s, right? And like, this is the first song that this band chose to put on a record. Like, if this was the, if Aerosmith is standing in front of you and this is the first song they play for you when they're like showcasing their material to you, you're going to be like, uh, okay. <laughs> well, like, but the also, music isn't selling it. Right. That's the thing. The music isn't. And that's where you've got to get into the idea of the front man here. Yes. Um, you know, obviously, you know, they were out grinding in clubs and bars and doing their thing to get noticed. And what probably got them noticed was Steven Tyler Frontman, you know, and, and the stuff they would do. Well, you said it, you know, it was their live work that really is what began to resonate with everyone. Mm-hmm. And and so and so that's definitely the that's definitely the kicker here it is like I can tell. Because you can also tell this is a song that, you know, you can see Steven Tyler up on stage strutting around to. Strutting around, throwing the microphone stand around. Yeah. 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 But it just, it just, it was a sound that kind of took me off guard. So, uh, so we move through Bruce's album, Greetings, and we get to, I mean, this is an iconic song, old track number two. It is. It's all, it's, uh, it's, it's Growing Up by Bruce Springsteen. Well, I stood stone like at midnight, suspended in my masquerade. And I combed my hair till it was just right, and commanded the night brigade. I was hoping to faint and crossed by the rain, and I walked on a crooked crutch. I strolled all along to a fall out zone, came out with my soul untouched. I Sit down, I stood up 
I mean, you really do get lost in his lyrics. You do. Like, this song is one of those, like, where Blinded by the Light was like, I'm going to get every single word in this song. (laughs) This is like, all right, let's edit some and let's tell the story. Yes. Yeah. And and it is it is his story of defiance and everything you know which I I love on the uh, on on his on his Broadway show where he's like I have a confession to make I'm the biggest liar ever that has ever been you know he's like I'm a fake <laughs> you know I never worked in a factory I never did this stuff and um but like he he lived in that culture and he's able to to really communicate the feeling of that we've talked about that. A yep. thousand times when we talk about Bruce, and and this does become one of his iconic songs, and it's because of the uh, because of the subject matter, you know. And and I mean, don't go ahead. Is this and is is E Street on this with him? Yes. Okay, um, because Max's drums are just they're driving both of those first two tracks. By the way. So fun fact: it's not Max. Oh, are you serious? Yes, it well, is Vinny Mad Dog Lopez. Well, there you go. That shows you what I, I know I about think things. Max comes in born to run. Okay. Like, is when Max comes in. I mean, good well, time to come into the band, right? Yeah. Well, but the drums are definitely driving these two tracks for sure. Like there's a, it, it's almost, you know, you what you really want from a drummer sometimes is not to be noticed, you yes. know, and 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 just kind of have that steady good rhythm going. Uh, but what's his face? Who'd you say it is? What's his name? Vinny Mad Dog Lopez. Oh, Mad Dog, he he's he likes to play the feels, you know, throughout. He he likes to keep it filled in. And obviously Bruce liked that, you know, because Bruce was a perfectionist about what he wanted. So Yep. Nothing's it, happening without Bruce is okay. Yeah, but it's definitely I mean, it definitely is a uh you know, percussion driven stuff going on here, it sounds like, or at least it's produced with the percussions very out front. Um, yeah, we'll get away from that uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a few songs. Right, right, yeah. So. <laughs> also, I mean, you know, it's not a rock out loud about Bruce if I can't give a lyrical shout out. So I'm just going to give a little lyrical spotlight here. Yes. Um, I took month-long vacations in the stratosphere, and you know it's really hard to hold your breath. I swore I ever lost everything I ever loved and feared. I was the cosmic kid in full costume dress. Let me tell you, you haven't lived until you sang that lyric live. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> Well, what about his song about being a pirate, or his line about being a pirate? The flag of piracy flew from my mask. That's right. I love it. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it. Like, Bruce talks about, like, yeah, I'm a fake and all this stuff, but it's like he was an outcast. He was, and he he was a rebel. I mean, he really did live that that rebellious son kind of lifestyle. He he definitely, you know, and that's— and, and you know, when we talk about Bruce, that's one of the things that really catches me about his story is the relationship with his father mm-hmm. and, and, and how, you know, they did finally kind of come to peace with one another. But there was always that tension, you know, based on him being a, a quote unquote disappointment, I guess, as a son. Yep. And uh, and so obviously you're going to feel like you're you're flying the old flag of piracy. And I mean, even it's weird because their relationship was so unique because, I mean, even in the book, when they make up, like literally their makeup is like his dad saying, I wasn't so good to you. Mm -hmm. And and you've always, you know, you've always taken care of us and treated us right. And then all Bruce just said was like, you did what you could. And like that was it. He said, we never talked about it ever again Mm -hmm. after that. Like that was all that the two of them needed for closure. Like 
it's such an interesting story. And like, if you guys have not read Born to Run, his biography, or like got the audiobook, I'm just saying, like, it's a good biography. The audiobook is read by Bruce. And, it is. And, it's, and so it just adds that much more to it. I listened to it, and uh, it got me up and down the road several times um, uh, a few years back when it came out. So um, super happy with it. Now, whereas Bruce is contemplating life and growing up, you know, in a factory town there. <laughs> um, Aerosmith is, I mean, they are full on doing the rock and roll thing. Because let me give you a few lyrics really quickly, Kristen. As we get into this next song, I need a lady, not somebody shady. Need someone to be close to, somebody cozy, not somebody nosy. Um, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Said, I won't be choosy. You could send me a floozy. Send me anyone you please. I'm actually getting that tattooed on my arm right now. All right. Well, this is Somebody by Aerosmith. I mean, like, this is where you begin to kind of hear those bluesy roots coming through. Yes. But it's also, and look, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of hearing, you know, Aerosmith as they went on and they did Walk This Way and they did Toys in the Act. They did all these other songs that would come, you know, and you get to Angel and Crying and all of these things. We have the benefit of hindsight of knowing what Steve Tyler's voice could actually do. We have the hindsight of hearing track three now, you know, Dream On before we get there. And it's just like, to me, I feel like Steve Tyler is caged in this song. I feel like he's caged on the majority of this record, which is so strange. Because, again, like we talk about, like with Joe Perry, like, you know, very unique sound. Like Steven Tyler is such a unique voice. Mm -hmm. And we really don't hear that voice that we are familiar with on this record. Well, there's there's a place coming out of that first part of that first verse where he says, somebody to walk the road I live on, and then he tags it with a live. And like, that's a moment where Steven Tyler should be like, live, you know? Yes. And and he doesn't. And, and it's just kind of like, you can do this, buddy. I believe in you. Come on. You know, give Here's me. Here's what I wonder. Like, I wonder if like him doing this, and like hitting those where it's like, ooh, I see, I see like a little bit of what could be. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this record was where he was like, you know what? Like, I did that. Let's see, let's see how far I could push it. Right. It could be. Or it could be, you know, this is what you do live. You don't do this in the studio. Like it could have been a result of the producer. 
could be. You know? I mean, because think about it. That was a time, too, where, like, if you think about it, this didn't really happen with Aerosmith, but you had live records that would literally break bands, like, mm-hmm. that would make bands superstars. Like, you had Kiss Alive, you had Frampton Comes Alive. You had all these studio records in this, or these uh, live records in the 70s that were just larger than life. Mm-hmm. And it was because they couldn't capture what this band did live in the studio. And I feel like that's what happened to Aerosmith. It may, so, it, it may be, but I, I just, I just feel like as you listen, it's cause I love the groove of it. I love the bluesiness of it. I love that they're kind of getting, because as you, as the further you go along in Aerosmith's discography, once you get to some of their much later work that hasn't really hit big, like they lean heavy into the blues. Oh, yeah, like Honkin' on Bobo. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is one of my favorite that record titles of all time. Um, <laughs> and they've got a good song on There's a couple of good songs on there. Um, but, yeah, this but this is kind of leaning toward that, you know, and, and so I dig that because it is that gritty rock and roll stuff that's coming about, you know. Meanwhile, Bruce is singing about growing up, and they're like, I need somebody, you know, send me a floozy. Uh, it's just like, all right. <laughs> I see. I see the differences of what's going on. Here. All right, Stephen. We're on, we're on two different paths right now. We're, we're on two different I mean, journeys. we really are. It's a, and, but you know, and I understand that record labels, especially back then, were promote were producing a, a a wide swath of various and sundry, you know, styles and and stuff. You know, they were they were looking for whatever would make them money. Obviously, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> it, now in in the days today of like you know, trying to find more niche things and things that'll hit big. Obviously the labels still want to make money, but there is a much more creator driven kind of market out there. What with YouTube and self-published music and everything. Um, so it's yeah, just a record company is not putting millions of dollars into like artists anymore, at least like rock bands, right. you know? So yeah. it's not like, it's like, yeah, take as long as you want because you're literally funding everything now. Right. Back then it was like, oh, no, you need to start making us money or you're out. Right. And so I, I just, you know, obviously they're going to have they're going to sign whoever they think can make them money in this area. It's just so the thing I can't get away from is that these two albums dropped on the exact same day. I know. So and like, think about this, too, like same day. And they're both East Coast artists. Like Aerosmith from Boston, mm-hmm. Bruce is from Jersey, so they're not that far apart. But the music that they're making could not be more different. Yep, yep. And so it's, <laughs> but it's fun though. It, it's fun also to see that, like you say, that same trajectory of, you know, you. you it's not until they hit that third album that they really broke through big time, mm-hmm. for both of them. And 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 you kind of with this, you definitely see why because there it does seem like they're holding back, but. Is it? I don't even know with Bruce if it's safe to say that he had at least one song that captured people. Like I know that he had a fan base and he was developing a fan base here in '73. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you as we switch back over to Greetings, and I kind of look and and, and see, I, you know, obviously growing up was a becomes an iconic song. But is there anything on this album that kind of like was the anchor? that would that propelled him on through no okay <laughs> like all of these songs that are like big like in the bruce lexicon right like mm-hmm. all these songs that are huge like spirit in the night and growing up you know these are all songs that became 
these iconic like songs of lore in Brewstum, but nothing like this record was not like, oh my God, you got to hear this one song. Like at least the Aerosmith record has one song that it's like, no, this is the song y'all. Right. <laughs> this, this is it guys. This uh, is the song y'all. <laughs> this whole album is the song. If you can't get behind it, then you can't get behind Bruce. Yeah. So. I mean like Bruce, it's like, you're listening to the whole thing. Cause and and like even I mean in this area it got some record play but even then like it's not being played all the time like and I mean you look at some of the song lengths on this record like Queen couldn't even or had trouble getting Bohemian Rhapsody on radio you know mm-hmm. and you look at these song lengths like 506 305 521 205 517 like these are long songs yeah yeah <laughs> not radio friendly well not radio friendly to the to the album, to the record labels, but man, DJs love the long songs. I mean, even DJs need a little bit of a bathroom break. Well, that's sometimes. the thing. No. Back in the day, when when there were actually physical DJs in studio dropping the tracks, you know, dropping the needles on the flat tracks of black wax, then you know they had to have those long songs so they could get up and smoke, use the bathroom. You hear American Pie, you know. Oh, I know what the DJ's doing. That's right. <laughs> That's right. They decide to play Stairway to Heaven. Oh, okay, I see what's happening over there at the radio station now. <laughs> so, um, this is Mary, Queen of Arkansas. Ugh. All right. So this is Kristen's favorite song off this album. Oh my god, I hate it so much. <laughs> do you? What do you hate so much? Do you hate the slowness of it? Do you hate that he he kind of warbles and tries to sound country, or what is the deal? All of the above. <laughs> oh my, this is like just so not in my wheelhouse, and ugh, just no. And like, you know what's crazy is like this is one of the songs that that Bruce played when he auditioned. For like for CBS Records, mm. and like that is just so horrifying to me. <laughs> I just feel so bad for him. Like this is a song that you're putting out there, dude. Like on, on purpose. No, mm. like I mean, we're going to talk about some songs on this record that are just like unbelievable. This is not one of them, my guy. <laughs> help me, help you. Like, what are you doing? It it is interesting because it doesn't have that. You know, a lot of Bruce's slow songs and his slower stuff. It it there's a feel to it, you know, and and you and you and you start to kind of feel it, even before he begins to sing. And here it's just like, all right, buddy, you need to hurry up and get to the point. 
and and then the way the words kind of drag out, you know, and and the way that he chooses to sing the words is a little unfortunate. Yeah, and it's really exciting that this is the longest song on the record. Like, well, yeah. well, that's just. I mean, if you play, what I understand is that if you play it at double speed, it's really an awesome song. God, be, if, if only. It, I don't even know if that could save it. It becomes this great folk jam. So. <laughs> I'm just really stoked that we don't have to talk about my least favorite song on, like, in the Bruce catalog. Thank God that's not on this record because I would literally, like, we're, I, I'm vetoing it. We're not listening to it. Oh. So this isn't quite at that level. What is your, um, what is your least favorite song in the Bruce catalog? <sighs> Kitty's Back. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> And I've had to hear it live like three mm. effing times. Because he likes it. No, he loves to play it in Philly, and that's a problem for me. What? <laughs> every well, now that's and- where I live. <laughs> every now and again, Kristen will go full Jersey, everyone, and you just <laughs> got to hear it there. No, because he likes to play it in Philly, and that's a problem for me. First of all, I do not talk like that. You, you, you did just then. You let it. That accent. You let it fly pretty hardcore. Yes, you did. Oh my god, it's not okay for me. Like some songs, it's great that they're Philly specials. Like the Fever is a Philly special. You know, you have a pretty good shot of seeing the Fever in Philly. That's amazing. Oh my god, it's 900 degrees in August, and you're gonna play the Fever. Oh yeah, that's what I need. But you're gonna play like a 15 minute version of Kitty's Back. No, no, uh-uh. That is the only time I've ever gotten out of my seat to go up to use the bathroom and go to the concession stand to get a soda because I knew I had time. Oh, he's playing kitties back. I think I'll get a churro. Yeah, John Bon Jovi could have walked down on stage, and I still would have been like, I don't care. It's literally the worst song that's ever been written. John Bon Jovi, current John Bon Jovi, steps out on stage to do a duet of kitties back with Bruce Springsteen. First of all, he would never. He'd be like, let's do glory days. <laughs> hey, man, I'm too good for this. <laughs> I'm not doing kitties back. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't either. I'd be like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Okay. I draw the line, Bruce. Sorry. Absolutely not. Well, how about we do Mary Queen of Arkansas? No. Um, no. Meanwhile, the third track over on Aerosmith is that iconic. Go. It is that iconic breakout track for them. It. This is the anchor song. I really do think that would propel them further and 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 it's because of I think what is allowed to happen in this. This this is the song that's set apart from everything on on this album. This is Dream On. Don't 
All right, I want to make something clear here. I know that we've been like really heralding this, and I've made it. I've made it a point that this seems like the anchor song, and it is. It's the one that has lasted the test of time off of this album that people still know today, and it is the one where at the end Steven Tyler finally gets to just kind of kick in and do his screaming and everything. But the truth of this song, and it's something I've thought for years, and I'm just going to confess it here on Rock Out Loud, is I have always considered this song to sound just like every other song from the 60s. I know this is 1973, but this has very much a 60s kind of um, rock ballad-ish feel to it, you know? You think? Yeah, for sure. Until, until you get down to the end. Like it, See, it, I, feel, I get 70s, and that just might be because, like, my reference point is way more in the 70s music than 60s music. Mm-hmm. But To me, yeah, it just I sounds hear, like some 70s. of that late... It sounds so, like Stairway. It does. It does. It sounds to me like those, some of that late 60s, very early... I mean, obviously, it's very early 70s, but almost protest song kind of stuff, you know, where, um, where they're starting to really get into using some of the electric guitars and that sort of thing. And it, and it just, I don't know. To me, it's very much a product of its time. You know, I mean, it is only 1973, for crying out loud. Um, but it, it's never been, and it's also never been one of my favorite songs in the world at all. Um, but I recognize, and that's the thing, What upon listening to this album, I'm like, well, yeah, this stands out. And this 100%. Stand, and this stands out because they do get to show their identity there toward the end. And it's really from the screaming, you know, that, that Steven Tyler does. Yep, that signature um, sound. Yeah, and so and so that begins to establish that for them. And like I said, when you get onto their second album, you really see them break away from all of their their other influences. And and even this still, you can still. I just they're just influences all over it that I that I. And I'm not good enough to tell you who, you know, but it just feels like everything else from that era. It doesn't feel special necessarily. Is what I'm saying. But when you in but in the scope of this album, it sure is. Yeah, it is literally the diamond. It is the pearl. Like mm-hmm. it is like the sparkling, glittering object in the middle of this kind of record that is kind of like we talked about, like it's a band that's trying to figure out like what their thing is. You you know what it is, Kristen? It's fine. It's fun. It's Just fun. fun. It's fun. I mean, or as Aerosmith themselves would say, F-I-N-E, fine. <laughs> yes. Now I've got to go listen to that. Girl, before I met oh. you, I was I mean, F-I-N-E, And that's the other fine. thing, too, with Aerosmith. Like, we're kind of dogging on this record, but if we did our original thing, like, we would be gushing about Aerosmith. For because, sure. Because, like, Aerosmith, not one of my favorite bands, but Aerosmith literally has written two of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> any band, any song, any genre. Like, I don't know why, but man... And what it takes is one of them. Like, what a great song. Yeah. So seeing how we got from, like, this stuff to that is so cool to me. It is. It is really neat. And it is, you know, and it and, and like I say, you, you have to wonder, is this the song that carried them through? Because obviously it didn't it didn't chart too high. I, mean, I don't know if the single charted that high or not. I think, um, I think it charts like 50-something, 50 59. The album charted, you know, up up around that way. But, the yeah, the single charted at 59 boom yeah 59 wow so you see i mean that's the thing and obviously in a in a world of music 59 top 100 that's nothing to sneeze at 
but today it's considered an iconic classic rock song. Yeah. You, know, you know what this song will always be to me, even though I knew this song before this particular reference? What's that? It'll always be the song from Miracle. Miracle. Have you, have you seen the movie Miracle about the Miracle on Ice, Steve? The, the hockey movie? Yes. Okay, yeah. I was making. I was just like, is she talking about the inspirational hockey movie about the 1980 U.S. Olympic team? Of course. Okay. Four <laughs> years ago, a few days ago. Do you believe oh, in miracles? And then an emergency goalie will go in and win a game on the 40th anniversary. Mm, that's, I mean, I USA, that. USA, USA, USA. Um, sure. I've only, I saw it once. What, at what point do they use this song in that movie? They do it at the end of the movie when they're like talking about, you know, what all of the character or what characters, what all of the oh, guys during the close, during the, during the credits almost when they're like, yeah. And then at the end, like Herb Brooks is doing a thing where it's like, you know, not my boy. I like I taught my boys, and like my boys taught me, like not only to dream but to believe. And then it goes into Dream On, and like I'm crying, mm. like oh my god, <laughs> it's so good. You know what? I I just want to say here that I it it makes my heart warm that 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 movie is a is a good it, it, that you that you revere that you have a certain reverence for that film, dude. Hockey, like. Hockey. I mean, I love sports movies in general, right. but you know me. Hockey's my jam. Yeah, and it's just incredible. Like, and they literally showed it like a hundred times last week. And me and Andrea were sitting in the parking lot of the Flyers game, and Andrea goes, "It's the 40th anniversary of Miracle on Ice." I'm like, "I know." And then she starts playing the freaking speech, and I was literally <laughs> like, "Don't play this right now because I'm literally gonna cry." <laughs> I, I was gifted back in. Must have been 89 or 90. It's some little, you know, youth group, church youth group Christmas party. I ended up having put in my hands like the top 10 greatest sports moments from the 1980s. Oh, that had to be number one. It it was number one on that. Yeah. And but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm three years old in 1980. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I, I know Empire Strikes Back exists, but I could care less about the Olympics as a three year old child, you know. Um, I, I grew up in the South, so we're not a hockey family at all. <laughs> um, and, and so what, what our family is made up of are diehard Georgia Bulldog fans. And so in my stupid little 12 year old mind, I'm thinking, well, there better be a Herschel Walker touchdown run on here. And of course it's not, there's like, you know, there's some baseball moments and everything. I think it was, uh, was it George Brett that like was playing injured and, or was it the Dodgers? Anyhow, but the number one was the Do You Believe in Miracles, the the oh. Miracle on Ice. And I just remember liking, like, really? That's the number one? Like, it, even then, it didn't really occur to me, you know, as a stupid 12-year-old kid, I'm like, this is the number one sports moment of all of the 80s to them? But well, and the craziest thing, too, is it's like, that's not even, that didn't even win them the gold. <laughs> right. But the thing was, <laughs> and see, here's the deal. Then, you know, as I started to think about it and realize, because I am a child of the 80s, just how big a deal it was that I'm like, let me, because I was confused. And so I had to chew on it and I'm like, all right, it's the Olympics. It's Russia. It's Russia. Mm-hmm. That they it's were, the, they were the evil empire. They were the bad guys and everything was bad. I'm like, yes, we must break you. USA. USA. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> Bring the Rocky into it. So, yeah. So I really came around thanks to Rocky um, and understood. No, I listen back in the, in the eight, as an '80s kid, I mean, we were scared of Russia. You know, it's like, what are they going to do now? You know, and but that so so it was a big deal to beat them. That's huge. I didn't realize. I saw the movie once and uh, hadn't hadn't seen it since because 
If I watch sports movies, like I feel like such an idiot when I watch those things. Why? Because I know, I know how it's going to end most of the time. You know, you know that the good guys are going to win and they're going to overcome all the adversity and be real life superheroes. And it still gets me right in the gut, no matter what the sport is. 100%. I mean, they could make a movie about curling and someone overcoming all the curling adversities, and I would probably still at the end be like, "Don't you cry, Steve Clawson? Don't you cry, Steve Clawson? You know, just put Horse some." Movies, they get me. Like the new one with Ben Affleck, I want to see it. I want to go cry. You look just, <laughs> just slow down. Just put the, just put the moment in slow motion and put some epic music to it. Oh. And I'm a sucker for it. I am a sucker for a good sports movie like that. Remember the Titans, anybody? Oh my God! <laughs> sunshine, yes. <laughs> oh, sunshine. All right. Anyhow, <laughs> where are we at? We're at. Does this bus? What a long. Okay. Does this bus stop at Eighty Second Street? Early Bruce wasn't really worried about the length of his titles of his songs either, was he? No, he was like in. He was um, the precursor to emo bands that had like paragraphs as song titles. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> Advertiser on a downtown train Oh, Christmas crier busted cane He's in love again When dock workers' dreams mixed with panther schemes The someday on the rodeo Tainted women in this division Before for out-of-state kids at the late show Wizard imps and sweat sock pimps I mean, okay. I think the thing is about this album, Kristen, is that mm-hmm. when you, when it comes to Bruce down the road, they're they're plugged in more. And I mean, yes. I mean literally, like this is such an acoustic sound that you, it's like. They they have kind of the the chain link fence of sound, not the wall of sound. That yes, you're used which they to. get on album three. Right. Thank God. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the thing. And also Bruce, and especially in this song, I thought this earlier, but I didn't want to make you mad. Um, <laughs> have at it. It's not my favorite song or record, so Bruce, have at it. It's almost like Bruce is doing his best, Bob Dylan. Huh, yes. Yes. And I don't. There were actually a lot of reviews when this record came out that alluded to that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Bob Dylan is bad. You know, I like I like I like a Bob Dylan, you know, but I don't like a Bob Dylan when I'm wanting to hear Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) (laughs) Here's like here's a quote that um, speaking of Bob Dylan, like. When Cream Magazine reviewed this record, they said that Springsteen songs are dominated by the kind of mannered emotional transparency and absurd absurdist energy that made Bob Dylan a genius instead of a talent. I feel like someone was just trying to throw together some words and sound smart. I mean, that's that sounds like a burn to me. <laughs> it does sound like a burn. <laughs> but at the same time, 
Uh, someone just trying to, they were too many words in that sentence. If I can just get real hick on you real quick. They was I mean, too many on, words Steve. in that sentence. This is the 70s and they are rock critics. That's true. You know, you know <laughs> the kind of people you're dealing with. They're just trying to be sharp. That's what we say. You, That's do what you want to know what Lester Bang said about the circuit? Do I want to know what Lester Bang said? Of course I do. He said some of his words can mean something socially or otherwise, but there's plenty of them that don't even pretend to, reveling in the joy of utter crash show-off talent, run amok and totally out of control. Well, he raised his his pirate flag on his mast. <laughs> so. Good old Lester. Good old Lester. Is that Lester Bang or Bangs? Bangs. So like what you have in the front of your hair? Yes. Okay. All right, Lester. What a name. What is that Lester's stage I mean, name? Lester Bangs? That's his that's his name. That's his critic name. Hmm. He's the best character and almost famous. Yeah. Which is apparently turning twenty this year. Yes. And so you yes. know you know with as much as Kristen has referenced uh almost famous that we're definitely doing a show on almost famous later this year at some point. Hundred percent. We have to figure out how we're gonna do it, but hundred percent yes. <laughs> all the yeses oh all my the God. yeses I, like, we could do like the top five movie quotes from Almost Famous about music <laughs> about, just go high fidelity with it top five everything top five yeah oh wow high fidelity is a, is a movie that is a good movie I love high fidelity I yeah. didn't love it until I was slightly older like in my teen years I did not like it mm -hmm. but as I got older I appreciate yeah, that's it one, that, that's one of those it it's very much is did John Hughes do that one? Was that one of his later ones? Did he did? I don't think so. It had a real it had a real grown up John Hughes feel to it, to me. And I know it was based on a book. Um, yeah, that was based in where London. And so, but I I just remember watching that and thinking, wow, this really feels like a like a John Hughes. Like Stephen like, Frears. Okay, yeah, but it felt to me it really did. It felt like the kids in the John Hughes movies had grown up. But also John Cusack is so self-obsessed in that film. I know. Like he's kind of annoying. Like at some points you're like, I relate to him. It's like George Costanza. Like I kind of relate to him. I don't know that I want to relate to him, but I do. What does that say about me? What does that say about you? When you, <laughs> you want to, Kristen's like, well, I wanted to be an architect. <laughs> you always knew I wanted to be an architect. <laughs> Good. Vandalay Industries. All right. Um, this is one way. And you want to be my latex salesman. <laughs> That's so great. Such <laughs> a great. All right. This is One Way Street by Aerosmith.
We're back deep into Blues territory. And there Dude, e- but I dig this. Oh, I, I do too. I do too. That's that's the thing is I really I like the jam. I like the long intro. I like that they're pulling out the harmonica back there in the background. I wish it'd be a little more harmonica forward. Yes. Um, but but I mean this again. This is definitely kind of showing their bluesy feel. And they have a couple others that kind of jam like that. But but it, again, I just I come back. For me, it's about the vocals. You know, because the, right there you kind of you you're almost to that signature sound. You're kind of creeping up to it, you know, but you're not quite there yet. Um, and, and, but I do dig this. I do dig this track. This is the song that thus far on this record has made me like, you know, nod my head, bob Mm -hmm. my head the most. Like, I just feel this even more than dream on like dream on's great. Like, obviously it has that build up the screams, like all that's great. But like this, like if I was out, I'd be like, oh yeah, like I yes, this is my speed. We're, we mm-hmm. can stay here because they're playing music. That's my speed. Right. Yeah. It's 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 that grooving. It's rock and roll. You know, it's blues. It it's uh, it's what you want to it's what you want to see happening. And again, he gets to he gets to honk on Bobo a little bit <laughs> with the harmonica. That's his thing. You know. You know, Stephen loves some harmonica. I know, and I and I dig a good harmonica when it's put in the right place. So. <laughs> Um, here's a line from his autobiography. Uh, the band was very uptight. We were so nervous when the red recording light came on, we froze. We were scared crapless. I changed my voice into the Muppet Kermit the Frog to sound more like a blues singer. There you go. (laughs) It's all making sense. And then in in the nineties, he said, yes, I changed my voice when we did the final vocals. I didn't like my voice the way it sounded. I was insecure, but no one told me not to. And he said that producer Adrian Barber was good for his time, but it was like being with a special needs child in there. And I'm not sure if it was because he was so high or because we all were. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Perry's a little more critical of Barber. He says, our producer was practically useless. He had little input. That's what I said earlier. When I heard the playback, I kept thinking, we're better than this. We should sound better than this. We're being recorded wrong. We sound flat. But because I lacked the studio chops to prescribe a remedy, I kept quiet. It pained me, though, that my guitar was not cutting through. There's magic on it, but it's just not the magic I'd envisioned. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when um, Jim Steinman was producing Hysteria by Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. And would, like, while they were tuning their guitars and running through songs, he'd be like, yeah, that, that was a good take, guys. And they're like, that, we, that wasn't the take. Right. We, we were tuning the guitars. Like, it's very that. It's mm-hmm. like some bands, they need someone that is going to direct them and steer them in the studio. And especially a band like this where it's like, hi, this is your first recording. And it, it sounds like they certainly did not get that. No, no. And so, and that and that begins to explain a lot. And so when you're up against that, and, and, I, and I love the fact they're like, we were just young, we were nervous, we were insecure, we didn't know how to, you know, Joe Perry says, I didn't know how to remedy this situation. And and so this is one of those tracks that I feel like you begin, like I say, you're creeping up to what Aerosmith, the fullness of what they could be. And and you just wonder, with a different producer, would this album have dropped and hit differently? You know, would it... We'll it, never know. We'll never know. And, and, and so... We can't have, like, the Donner cut, you know? Right. <laughs> well, here's what would be... Well, it would have been interesting maybe for them to come back several years later and remaster it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I know artists aren't into that, 
but it's almost like when you get to a certain point in your career where you're big enough to do it. Yeah, like, do it. Yeah, do it. We're going to go back and rectify the things we thought were done wrong to us. And Unless it's like an iconic first record. Like if it's Appetite for Destruction. Oh, yeah, like, okay, yeah. You're not right. going to do that. No. But if it's this where you're like, yeah, this kind of sticks out like a, store, a sore thumb. Yeah, let's, let's you yeah. know, fiddle around. Yeah, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> so, um, oh, no, this says explicit on this song. I don't is know it, why. Is it explicit? I don't think so. I mean, they talk about nuns running bald through Vatican halls. Like, that might be explicit. They, I don't know. Uh, that, that rhyming book just comes out again. Oh, my God. <laughs> just wait. Like, I love this song so much. We got to talk some lyrics. Yes. All right. Good deal. Well, let's get into it. This is, um, the, uh, this is Lost in the Flood by Bruce on Greetings from Asbury Park. This has been fun. Ragamuffin gunners returning home Like a hungry runaway He walks through town all alone He must be from the fort years high school girls say His countryside's burning with wolfmen fairies Dressed in drag for homicide They hit and run Plead sanctuary the holy stone they hide They're breaking beams and crosses With the spastics real imperfection Nuns run bald through Vatican halls Pregnant, pleading immaculate conception And everybody's wrecked on Main Street From drinking and holy Sticker smile sweet as gunner breeze deep His ankles caked in mud And I said, hey gunner man, that's quicksand That's quicksand, that ain't mud Have you thrown your sounds to the war? Did you lose them in the flood? That pure American brother Hit us with it, Kristen. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, you heard it here. Does it get more metal in Bruce Springsteen's catalog than nuns run bald through mm. Vatican halls, pregnant, plead an immaculate conception, that, and everybody's wrecked on Main Street from drinking unholy blood? That is metal, by the way. That is definitely oh a metal God. line. That does, I don't know that I've ever heard Bruce be more metal than that, as you say. I right? have to agree oh with that. Oh, my God. And also, I mean, like, you know, and somebody said, hey, man, did you see did you see that his body hit the street with such a beautiful thud? Mm. I wonder what the dude was saying or was he just lost in the flood? Like this song. Let me tell you. You want to know a funny story? Yeah. You know who hates this song? Bill. No, Angie. Oh, nice. (laughs) She hates this song. So literally when we saw Bruce at Citizens Bank Park, he played the song and it was like it was such a bad set list but he played this and i was literally like throwing horns like losing my voice <laughs> screaming the lyrics of this song and she's just looking at me like oh my god like you're so embarrassed <laughs> and she's like i'm gonna get a churro now i know and i'm literally like come on man nuns run bald through vatican hall yes <laughs> it's just so good and i mean of course you get the jersey sound out like racing sundays in jersey like and everybody goes Wah! 
because the only time it's ever cool to be from Jersey is when you're at a Springsteen show. It's kind of annoying. Just like get on the train. We're awesome, everybody. Like deal with it. Um, but yeah, blast. Love the lyrics. 10 out of 10. What is this song even about? Who the hell even knows? I'm just making. I was just wondering. I was just wondering if this was some more of his Bob Dylan mess or not. I was just making sure, you know. Because Bob Dylan mess. Well, I mean, look. What is what is a Bob Dylan song about? Nobody knows. It's a so apparently because I just looked it up. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's about a Vietnam veteran. I was I mean, gonna. I was not. I was gonna say that. I I feel like that that whole conflict, that whole war, is very informative. To... And very prevalent in Bruce's music. Right. Right. Um, I mean, he was drafted. R- yes. And he didn't have to go in because of his motorcycle injury. Well, which... no. He did everything he could to make sure he really didn't... He wasn't going to uh, pass. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true, too. That's why when everyone applauds him on Live 7585, he's like, it's nothing to applaud about. But we're like, no, we're really happy that you're here. <laughs> Well, and I, and of course that brings to the point, you know, where his dad's sitting at the table and he says, "Well," and he says, "I didn't take oh, me," and his dad that's said, good. "That's good." Oh. You know, after telling him he was going to send him to the military all those times, and it's just like that's when a great. When the army gets you, they're going to make a man out of you. Right. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> I thought we both start crying as I li- as I was listening to this. That's what I thought. I'm like, this this seems like it's about some of that Vietnam stuff again. You know, that really is informs a lot of his his thoughts and stuff. So, um, this is another bluesy thing from Aerosmith though. Like as you get deeper into this album, you know, it, it, it kind of leans in this stuff. And this is, um, I think I'm right when I say this is his mama Ken. Taking care of business. Every day. <laughs> Does that not sound like taking care of business to you? 
It definitely does. It has those vibes. Right. But, like, this is another song. Like, I love this song. And mm-hmm. this, is a, this is probably, like, Dream On is obviously, like, the pearl of the record. This is probably the second most, like, oh, biggest song. Look, you know me. You know how much I love good guitar-driven stuff and everything. And so when when Joe Perry is just getting to, just getting to jam out, you know, that's, <laughs> I mean, I'm there. I'm there for that. Yeah, and and there's some brass going on in the background, some some You got some, some sax? Some sax happening back there, I should say, not brass. Everyone shut up. I know it's a woodwind. Um <laughs> but yeah, that's happening in in the background. It's not mixed very well to be heard super well, but it's there and and it's and it it's seems that, like nothing was mixed well, Steve. Well, you know what? It was that producer. He was just a jerk, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he, you know, he, hey, I I recorded the Beatles live. Well, that's the only good thing you did. <laughs> you peaked. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how's it How's it feel to have one claim to fame? <laughs> uh, I hope he made money off it. Yeah. Well, I could care less, to be honest with you, after what he did to Aerosmith here. Um, you don't deserve money. You don't deserve money. Look what you did to these guys. These are some sweet boys that just want to rock and roll. Um. But yeah, as 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 you that's what I'm saying when you get here like and you mentioned, you know, this has that this very much has that thin lizzy kind of feel to it as well as they start yep. out. But it, to me, you know, whereas with with the Asbury Park stuff, what we're getting is is we're getting you know, a musician who knew what he wanted out of his music and who knew what he wanted out of his lyrics for sure. With Aerosmith, what we're getting is this is who we are, and we're trying our best, the best this young band knows how to, to present the fullness of who we are to you. And so I definitely can imagine seeing these guys live and probably being blown away. Yeah. With By you the know, sheer energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the fact that he wasn't singing like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Cut loose, Steven Tyler. We That's, don't need Kermit. Well, and he and he kind of almost does it here too, you know, like he's just and I, I wish I kind of knew the order that they recorded these things in because, like, you almost feel like he's more comfortable here than he's been anywhere else in the album, except for the end of Dream On. Yeah, I see that for sure. So, but I, yeah, that's a, that's a song I could jam to just about any time. And like I say, it's one of those songs that, like, you do wish they would go back and be like, "Hey, go do this your way now." Yeah, you know, because I, it, I guess it'd be it. Maybe not now. I'm saying like, you know, late '80s. Early '90s, when they were really just coming into their, you know, to the big '90s revolution for them, the '90s renaissance for themselves. Oh, so good! You know, go back and redo a song like this, and let people really just kind of marvel to it, because I think they would have, for sure. Um. All right, this is the angel. It's a bad one. It, oh, good. Looking forward to this then. <laughs> you might love it. I don't know. The angel rides with hunchback children, poison oozing from his engine, wielding love as a lethal weapon. On his way to her cap heaven, 
baseball cards poked in his spokes his boots and oil he's patiently soaked the roadside attend and nervously jokes as the Stroke his precious pavement Well, the interstate's choked With nomadic hearts And Volkswagen vans Here's the thing. I don't know that Bruce needs to do a lot of holding notes out. No. Also, get the man an energy drink or something. Coffee. <laughs> Wake up. I'm asleep. Jesus. The angel. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's... We're uh, not there yet. We're not there at the power voice yet, Bruce. Stop. No, no. But uh, even now, I don't think that Bruce has one of those... I mean, he doesn't... His vocals have never... And, of course, he admits it. You know, he's never been the best vocalist in the world. Um, I mean, but we're going to talk about a record or a song and like you're going to play and I'm going to have you play it from a certain part. And mm -hmm. like we're going to hear the man could belt at a time. Yeah. And this was not that time. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> and again, just a real draggy song. Like there, there's something about the the tempo of it that needs to be just upped a little bit. There's something maybe I, I don't I'm not well versed enough in like music theory and everything to kind of say, but like it's one of those like you can tell that he wants you to feel what he's talking about in and the vein in the vein of an independence day or something like that, but you just don't because it's just taking too long to get the words out. Yeah. No. Ugh. <laughs> to quote Simon Cowell, it's a no for me. It's a no for me. <laughs> um moving on in the Aerosmith now. Is write, <laughs> is write me a letter. tell you i'm getting more and more frustrated with the producer <laughs> you're gonna write a strongly worded letter. i'm gonna write a strongly worded letter to a man who may or may not be dead by now he was <laughs> he was born in 1938 i did not see a death date on his wikipedia page 
<laughs> so, well, I mean, he did him dirty. He did. Because, look, this this song. I, I we never do this, but I've got to back it up and and just hit you from the beginning. And I want you to listen to what happens there, way off in the distance. Did you hear Steven Tyler in the back? A little scream. Yeah. But I mean, like, like forward, my guy. Yeah. And so it's like th- th- you've got to have a producer that hears that and recognizes that and says, we need to pot that up, start over, let's get that. You know, and, and That's to. That's what you pay him for. And to foster an air of fun so that a song like this, they can really. Now, granted. You know, they did talk about, you know, but they they were doing these tracks in between running back and forth the bathroom, you know, doing the drugs and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, who knows? You know how it was back then. Right, right. But it's just, you know, it, it's really, it, it, honestly, I feel like this could be such a better album. You know, to me, listening to Greetings, it it's like, all right. You know what? If nothing else, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band gave their best effort, you know, and this is this is what he wanted to have when it came out. Did it hit the way he wanted it to? Obviously not. But I don't know that Bruce can look back and be like, obviously every artist looks back and says, I could have done this different, could have done this different. But in the moment, you know, as I understand it, I think this is what Bruce wanted to put out into the world. Yeah. With with Aerosmith no, <laughs> there's no way it was, you know, and it's just it it's it and so and that's what's so interesting in the tale of two albums, you know. And Bruce had a personality where I, you know, he went in and he's like, "This is what I want it to be," yeah. Unlike these guys, and I and I appreciate that, you know, Steven Tyler and those guys saying we were just too nervous, we didn't know how to do what we were doing, you know, and and so, and it's that classic rock rock and roll story of we got tied in with the label. And we didn't know how to deal with the label, and the music suffered for it. Thankfully, though, for Aerosmith, they were making this record in the 70s where bands had time to develop and right, make right. other records. So Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. If this if this album would have come out even in the 80s, maybe. Oh, yeah, no. You know, especially had it come on out in the 90s, it would have probably been shut down quick. Yeah. Or they would have cra- been. It's crazy how, like, 10 years can change like how so much can change in just 10 years especially like for the music business then where technology was growing and all of a sudden it's like oh well now we have like people the thing the media that people are purchasing the most is music so of course it's going to skyrocket and things are going to go crazy Mm -hmm. so yeah they definitely came along at the right time to uh have that kind of oh we didn't know like we were too nervous and then they could find they could like find their footing and get it together to make their follow-up records <laughs> um exactly and and that's i don't know and the, and i think that's one of the good things about modern the way modern music is done with so much independent promotion and production that goes on is you find your audience and if you get beyond that great but if you don't because and you know in the day of crowdsourcing and crowdfunding and you know the 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 more independent artist you are your money doesn't all get funneled back into a label yep you know you can you can choose to tour how you want to and play venues where you can know the money is going to actually go in your pocket and it's a it's a harder grind for sure 
But I think the rewards when you hit, if you hit, are that much greater nowadays. I agree. Um, where do you want me to start this? Four minutes and 20 seconds, please. Oh, 420. All right. Here we go. This is, um, now this is actually, I feel like this is a cheat. I don't care because it's it's so you could play a little bit from the record. They're two completely different songs and this one is far superior. Well, let's hear from the record since oh. that's kind of the discussion, but then we'll play the live version here. Okay. This is this is for you. This is the 7th track off of Asbury Park. version here in just a second but i want to say this right out of the gate like that is so much a song of the melding of bruce being bruce and bruce being bob dylan <laughs> and wait till you hear the live version <laughs> that ver but that verse as he's opening that verse i'm like well this is more of him doing dylan but then when he hits that chorus it's very much bruce springsteen yep you know and i'm sorry old mad dog he loves those feels do that, I mean, there's a lot of that going on in that song. All right, this is the live version. This is from the Hammersmith Odeon in London. Yes. In 1975. Volume back up and play. And you were born the power of the Lord. You could leave tall buildings a single man. And your Chelsea suicide with no apparent motive You could laugh You could cry In a single sound Your strength Is devastating of all these eyes Remember how I kept you waiting When it was finally my turn To play the God And you were not quite half so proud When I found you broken on the beach That ragged, ragged, jagged melody still clings to me 
So that's Bruce at the keys. Oh. Doing his thing. And he is he's wailing in a better way there. Like he's his voice is not well, he sounds like Bruce that we know and love, but then he's also like a, the young Bruce that we know and love. Yes. But he's he's also like there were moments where he had those pipes where he would kind of push it a little bit. And he did that there. That it's like I mean, I'm actually kind of happy that you played the album version and this because mm-hmm. like it sounds like two completely different songs. Yep. Yep. The record version is like this, you know, upbeat like okay, I came for you and then like the live version that just him on the piano is like this sorrowful, sad like you just feel loss mm-hmm. and sadness. Oh my god. And like literally like the hair on my arms just like stands up every single time I hear it. My eyes well up when he's like, you know, you were not quite half so proud when I found you broken on the beach. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Like literally I just die. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Now, this is from 75. Is this, was this concert after Born to Run had been released? Yes. Okay. So this was when Bruce first went over to the UK. And I forget the exact billboard, but I feel like when he went over there, he saw a billboard that said, you gave us the Beatles, we give you Bruce Springsteen. And Mm -hmm. he got so mad. Yeah. He was like, I just want to come here and like play my music. I don't want to have all these expectations on right. me. Yeah. And he did like 10 sold out nights at the Hammersmith Odeon. And like <laughs> there are these iconic shows. And the crazy thing, too, is he was not huge over there. So when you listen to these records, like for people that are not like me that hate crowd interaction, this is the live Bruce record for you, the live at the Hammersmith Odeon. Because literally, like, even during Jungle Land, when he's like over the Jersey State line, there's no cheering. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very like cheer at the beginning and the end, and that's it. Right. I, I was just thinking, I've pulled out the Marvel notebook again, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we should, because we love Bruce Springsteen so much. We should do some live stuff. Maybe even like look at some of these because, like, I'm just looking Hammersmith Odeon. Like, there's the whole concert apparently is available on YouTube. Yeah, um, it is. So I'm just thinking, like, we should. We might. That might be something worth doing. Twist my arm. Come okay, on. All right. Done. Done. <laughs> but no. Bec- and here's why. And I think it also would be interesting maybe to take a few other or Kristen to let's take some of your favorite live Bruce songs. This is a this is a conversation we should be having off the air. To take some of your favorite live versions of Bruce songs. Against the, the studio against version. Against the studio version. I, well, I mean, there's nothing like live Bruce, so I right. will take that chance. But, th- but I mean, like, I think this is a great example of, you know, you hear how it is on Greetings, and then you hear what he did with it live. And, and it is, it's a completely different song that is a lot more powerful. Yep. You know? Like, it's... It's one of those songs, the live version, where when I hear, like, I start it and I'm like, okay. And, like, sometimes I'm like, okay, do I want to listen to this? And then, like, as he starts singing and I just, you can't stop. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, it's eight minutes later. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I've, Look, I've got to, I, I have ignored um, Shaz. I've ignored the chat too much. <laughs> and uh, And Shaz is, Shaz gets real passionate about music and stuff and i love it and so he's uh 
he's he, in the right place. Yeah, and so I don't know where some of these things are from, but when I'm talking about the drummer, he's like, don't get a drummer if all you want is a metronome. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right, Shaz, you're right, you're right. But there is something to be said about having too much feels and stuff. Like when you when you get a drummer who's just all feels, you know, and it, sometimes the drum has to be there to drive the song rhythmically and not be the musical instrument. They can be effective as musical instruments. I totally agree. Um, on the live things, he was like, piano was too up front in the mix. Well, that's a live deal. Or maybe he was talking about that. I don't know. He says, sorry, ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> um, where? What track are we on? We are on... What, what sorry, I was sending a text. No, that's all right. I'm trying to figure out what track. I, I got lost in my in the chat there. I got derailed. I got you, I got you, I got you. We are on moving out. All right, that's what I thought. So this is moving out by, and I look. and Not and, to be confused with the Billy Joel song. Mm -mm. Also, I mean, notice that, especially as you get down to these last two songs, you know, they're taking the G's out of the words. Of course, Walking the Dog is a cover. Um, but Mama Ken, that's like a, that's a very Southern bluesy kind of thing and that sort of thing, just the, the words. Here we go, Moving Out by Aerosmith. I mean, that's right up my alley, by the way. That is. That's very Steve Glossin. It is. <laughs> it is. It really is. Especially when they kick it all in. But I'm going to tell you this. It's also very... And, it, and, it, and because it's all from the same same genre, it's very much when the levee breaks. Um, yes. Yeah, yes. You know, and, and obviously this isn't a cover, but when the levee breaks by, by Zeppelin was. Um, and uh, it... But it's the same kind of feel they they've got the same kind of driving situation to it and, and the way the the way the guitar comes in real heavy does too but again i just feel like this could have been produced better i, I that's that is now my statement of aerosmith's first album needed a better producer <laughs> it's like if when it all boils down what do we think it they could have really done with the producer that'd be great yeah yeah for sure, because I really do dig that track a lot and i honestly everything from the last few tracks we've had from them, I've, I've really dug. Uh, 
I don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the fa- the past three tracks, I've been like. Yeah, I feel I'm that this record has been better on the back half than the front, for sure. Despite having for sure. Dream on. But also, but there's still such a the the influences of of other people are still they're like we really didn't hit the taking care of business the sounding like thin lizzy kind of stuff uh, hard enough uh, earlier um <laughs> you know like I, we love you love thin lizzy i like thin lizzy but it's just like with dylan if i'm turning on aerosmith i don't want to listen to thin lizzy i'm turning on aerosmith yep <laughs> you know so but i'm i'm into moving out you know i it's it grooves i was bobbing my head i was weaving a little bit i'm into it so, but I and, but I have no idea what's about to happen here with Spirit in the Night. Oh, so. <laughs> get ready. Yeah, I hear you. Now that's a familiar Bruce song. It is. You probably no. heard it live. I think I did. <laughs> this is like a staple at Bruce shows. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard this. I'm pretty sure they did this. I don't know. I'd have to go back and find that playlist and that play that set list and everything. Um, Everybody calls out the all night. Oh, I was at a show one time where literally two sides of the arena like challenge each other back and forth so like the one side of the arena would start and then the other side would try to get louder i was like i feel like i'm in a soccer stadium this is great (laughs) um but again that what one of the things that's really been made clear to me as we've done this and it's been fine it's fine um f-i-n-e fine yes is is just how different these two albums are it's crazy. I mean, I mean, it is. I don't know that we could have. Um, I don't know that we could have had two more different type albums. No, um, that came out the same day, same record label, and a few states apart. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to yeah. me. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really, it's it's amazing to to kind of see what's coming out of this era. But again, this is. You know, you get into the the mid to late '60s, right in here into these early '70s, and especially here in the '70s, this is when the rock and roll, you know, heavy metal, whatever you want to call it, this is when this really start. It started coming to its own and established 
what music would be for so many people for a generation that has... La- I mean, like, I'm sorry. You turn on the radio, and and yeah, you can find like some classic hit stuff, but when you get to classic hits, you're not hearing a lot of... As much as I love 80s pop, <laughs> you're not hearing a lot of 80s pop. You're not no. hearing a lot of... What you're hearing is... You're hearing hits that we would consider. You're hearing Bruce. You're hearing Aerosmith. You're hearing uh, some Zeppelin. You're hearing. Um, you're hearing Journey. You're hearing all of these groups that kind of came around in this decade, as being the ones who have stood the test of time. And and it's just it's it's an interesting dichotomy to see that both of these out like you go to the store on that day and you're like, oh, they've got two new groups. Who are these people? You know. I'll buy them. You know, I'll get them both. It's new records. I have mommy and daddy are rich, so I am. So I'm going to get both records. And you take them home, and I, I here's just, my twenty five cents. What's that experience like? You know what? What was that experience like for someone back then? It's just an interesting, interesting. Well, and the beauty too is that it's both of their first records. So mm-hmm. that that person that buys them on the same day has no idea what to expect. Right. That's the thing. It's the trajectory these two groups would take. And obviously, uh, you know, Aerosmith more tragic um, just because not that they had like real tragedy in the, in the vein of a Def Leppard or, or some of the other groups, but the, the whole, the rock and roll lifestyle really ate them alive mm-hmm. and it's still, you know, been a burden to them, you know, whereas with Bruce, it's been, you know, it's just been this steady, constant progression of his music and his vision for what he wants his music to be and telling his story. Bruce has had a drive to tell his story. Yes. You know, even when tell, he fired the E Street Band and that was awful. Or to tell a story, you know, if nothing else. And and so it it's it's in the trajectory these these two groups or these two parties took is just Really amazing to to kind of sit back and watch. So this is the last track on Aerosmith's album. It is a cover. It's a blues cover, um, you know, because they are into the blues. And this is uh, Walking the Dog, which, by the way, I just read something interesting. When the album was first printed, it was misprinted, and it was Walking the Dig. Walking the Dig. And that it, now that is some Southern ish. And right it there. wasn't. And it wasn't until they finally got the second print. They saw the they saw the typo and they got with label like this is Walking the Dog, you idiots. <laughs> so here's Walking the Dig, Aerosmith.
Can I tell you, I would have worn the grooves out on that record on this song. <laughs> I do not doubt it. Again, so Steve Glossin. Well, I mean, when he just... I mean, that's some good stuff. Also, I mean, again, the production, he's doing a little screaming there in the front that's so way off in the background. And also, they apparently invited Jethro Toll to come jam on the flute for a little bit. Is that true or no? No, no, no. It just sounds like it. Do you hear the there's a there's a flute up front? It's like a and it's very Jethro Tull. Um, that blues, man. Which, by the way, I, we've never talked Jethro Tull. I don't no. want to right now, but I think I, it would be hilarious. I know. I just feel like to hear you talk Jethro Tull would be hilarious. So I mean, Jethro Tull is the first ever award winner of uh, the Grammy category, Best Metal Record. So, yay! <laughs> and so, ladies and gentlemen, that sums up Kristen's thoughts. They got on, that right, didn't on they? On Jethro Tull. <laughs> Jethro Tull, Metallica. Hmm, who's a shoo-in for the metal category? I know! Jethro Tull. Aqualung sitting on a park bench. Um, <laughs> before the days of Wikipedia, uh huh, and 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 in the nascent days of the internet, um, I actually was not introduced to Jethro Tull until like my sophomore year of college. Oh, so you were lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, no, I found out about him at just the right time. <laughs> and this dude, we're all talking music. He's like, have you ever heard Jethro Tull? I'm like, I don't guess so, you know. But then once you hear him, you hear him everywhere. You hear him on the radio. They're playing him on the radio all the time. Um, I'm like, okay, yeah, all right, got it. This is Jethro Tull. He's like, now this is thick as a brick. And I'm like, okay. He's like, it's the whole album. You've got to listen to the whole album. I'm like, I don't think I do. Um, it's like that time I was like, Steve, you have to get into Bruce Springsteen. Here's Live 7585. It's three records. Right, right exactly. It's a three-disc set. <laughs> But they're like, and I'm like, thick as a brick. And he's like, yeah, this kid makes a lot of cool Robin. I said, this kid, he's like, this is all a poem that a kid wrote and um, and won an award for. And and Jethro Tull said the music. I'm like, is that true? He's like, yeah, it's in the liner notes and everything. <laughs> and so I'm like, this is amazing. Look at the, listen to these lyrics. How's a nine-year-old boy writing this kind of stuff? And then, of course, you know, I'm like, this something's wrong. Something's not right here. I'm like, is this true? And so we started to do our research as best we could in the mid-90s um, and discovered, no, that was just a story that was put out there for the album. Oh, Yeah. You were yeah. duped. Yeah, everyone was, Kristen. Everyone was. It wasn't just Unacceptable. us. Unacceptable. Yeah, it wasn't just us. It was everyone. So anyhow, um, I, look, at the, end of the, at the end of the day with this Aerosmith album, Aerosmith, um, by Aerosmith, uh, I, I I dig it. I really do. I see it, it. To me, what was so shocking was how little they sounded like Aerosmith that we would come to know and love. Yeah, but, it is a record without an identity. But I guess, you know, in a lot of ways, that's true of a lot of early records by bands. I mean, you know, if you listen to um, High and Dry, which is an That's awesome not album. Their first record. It's not their first record, but it's earlier that you know, it's not the <laughs> it's not the sound that would come to define them. You know, it's not the Star Wars of of music. The Star Wars for the years. That's right. <laughs> Star Wars for the years. Yeah, you know, but I'm just saying, like, even with Def Leppard, as good as it is, you know, it it 
there's still some growing and developing to do, which again, is that's the catch 22 with everything, you know, you want stuff to sound like, you know, it sounds, but at the same time you want things to change. Not every record can be appetite for destruction, which is good Mm -hmm. because after appetite for destruction, guns and roses were awful. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, it's hard to light a candle in the cold November rain. Apparently. Sometimes you need some time on your own. You. All right. Anyhow, um, well, let's round out old greetings here. With uh, it's 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 hard it's to be hard. a saint in the city. <laughs> Such a long title. Like I had to scroll over, and make sure I was saying all the right words. Skin like leather and my diamond heart look up a cobra. I was born blue and weather, but I burst just like a supernova. I could walk like Brando right into the sun, dance just like a Casanova. With my black jack and jacket and hair slick sweet. Silver star studs on my dust like a Harley in heat. When I strut down the street, I could feel its heartbeat. Sisters fell back, said, don't that man look pretty? The cripple on the corner cried out, nickels for your pity. Them gasoline boys downtown shorts are gritty. It's so hard to be a saint in the city. What a what a great track to close out on. You know, it's just hard to be a saint in the city, Steve. It is, um, but it's 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 fun to groove like they're grooving there. And you know me, if it jams, you love a groove. If I if it jams, I'm there. Um, <laughs> I'm there for it. But no, it has this song has a like you know we've talked about before. We did an episode one time on on uh, first tracks on an album. You know, you drop the needle and, and here's the first track you hear. There's also something to be said about a good closeout on an album. You know, and I think both these albums have had really good closings. I think this is a really solid one. And and this is one that I I wish would be covered by someone else as well. Like I would there like as I'm listening to this, I'm like, man, I'd love to hear some other groups get a hold of this song and, and I mean, put their spin just on it. You t- just YouTube David Bowie. It's hard to be a saint in the city. Did d- did Bowie cover this? Yeah. Well, all right. <laughs> I mean, it's not great. None of none of Bowie's Bruce's co- Bruce covers are that great. Right. But, you know. What were we watching? Was it you that was that had shown? And it was something. It was this. No, Kristen. It was not. It was a sound check from something. Uh-huh. Where it was um was it a tribute to Queen? Was it a was it Freddie Mercury tribute or something? Oh, the Annie Lennox thing? The Annie Lennox thing. Yeah, that you were like, this is bad. It was awful. They were doing the sound check and like it was just like, what is happening here? And then I watched the actual performance. I'm like, oh okay, it's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Sometimes sound check is just bad, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. Hard to be a saint in the city, David Bowie. Listen to that bass. 
black leather and the diamond hard loop of a cobra. I was born blue and weathered in my purse, just like a supernova. I could walk like Brando right into the sun and dance just like a casanova. His voice is too smooth for this song. I know. This is like that, like, station to station, like, you know, Thin White Duke era, you know? Yeah. But also, also, like, he's put an orchestra behind everything. I mean, like, it's there, Bowie, you know? I know, but it's like, I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. But it does have a great jam. Uh, uh, jams. I'd love to hear everyone that I love um, cover this song. <laughs> This That's is, your suggestion. Just cover It's Hard to Be a Saint this by is a, Bruce. Yeah, this is a song I want to hear covered. I want to hear... Um, there was a moment in Bruce's version where I'm like... And it was just like for a few measures, I'm like, wow, this sounds like a Counting Crows song. I wonder if they've ever covered this. But then I thought, I don't want them to cover this because he does weird things with his voice now. Um, <laughs> it's a no from me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, they're just... I don't know. I could hear a lot of... I, there's... I'd love to hear people cover this song. So if you have a band and you want to cover <laughs> It's Hard to Be a Saint in the City and send it to us, we'll play it. We'll play your stuff. Hell yeah. Yeah. We'll be glad also, to do Also, fun that. fact. You want to know the fun fact about this song? Uh, yeah, always. I mean, when Bruce auditioned for CBS Records, this was the first song that he played really? for them. Well, yeah. Yes. Well, then, yeah, he caught their attention. <laughs> for sure. I, I'm so, I mean, like, I really do dig the song. I dig the jam of it, you know. And I like the line about the heart is a cobra. What? You're so Southern sometimes. <laughs> no, sometimes I'm just an old man. <laughs> so you like the cobra. I like the whole, you know, walk right, like, walk like Brando and dance just like Casanova. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, look. Look, I had skin like leather and the diamond hard look of a cobra. This is why you think Bruce never, or this is why I think Bruce never smiles because he says things like this. I could walk like Brando <laughs> right in the him, sun. You're like, oh, he's so happy. <laughs> he's so he's happy. I was the king of the alley, Mom. I could talk some trash. I was the mm. prince of the paupers, crowned downtown at the beggars' bash. Now that's something Dusty Rhodes would have said in one of his wrestling promos back in the day, because he used to also Maybe say, he did. "Well, he what he said was." I've wined and dined with kings and queens, and I've slept in alleys and dined on pork and beans. So I can hear him say, I was the king of the alley, Mama. I could talk some trash, Daddy. The prince of the paupers. <laughs> Love it. Oh, my God. So many things happened. <laughs> <laughs> we must be at over two hours into the show. We've gotten so many references tonight, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Rock Out Loud is back. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Ric Flair. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness! So, what what's our takeaway here? In the in the in the words of the Big Honkin' Show, what have we learned? We've uh, learned that producers mm -hmm. uh, really make a huge difference, for sure. And we've learned that a completely um, crazy perfectionist. Maybe like awful, awful slave driver to record an album for. Sometimes they get the better record in the end. So out of these two, you prefer the, the greetings? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I think it has more of an identity. Mm-hmm. Like, I think after listening to this, like, I try to put myself back, you know, when it came out. Right. If I was listening to this, I would have an idea of who Bruce was. Mm-hmm. I would not have an idea of who Aerosmith was. I would kind of. I'd be like, I think I know kind of what they are, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Whereas Bruce, I feel like, okay, got it. I I, I agree with your assessment on on the on the understanding who they are right out of the gate. I, I totally agree with that. But for my money, I think I would have been happier with the Aerosmith purchase. Okay. Um and, and it and it comes down to the, the that really the B side. All the stuff on the B side to me was so good and so jamming that that I would want more of what they have to offer. And so when you get into and and I think so it, so if in 1974, you know, I'm going back to the record store because, you know, mommy and daddy aren't that rich. I can only buy one one or two records a year. Um <laughs> so so if I if I am if I'm back at the record store in 1974 and there and there's Bruce, you know, and there's another Aerosmith, I may be picking up Aerosmith first. Um, Interesting. Just because of the way it left me. Now, I don't regret buying the Bruce album necessarily, but I think that, like I said, like I told you, that last track, that Walk in the Dog, I'm going to wear the grooves out on that record, uh, <laughs> just playing that over and over again. Well, and here's the thing, too. Like you said earlier, like you wish that the Bruce record was more plugged in. Like it is very acoustic. Right, right. Where the Aerosmith record, like, yeah, it might be like, yeah, you know, their their influences are there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't sound like Aerosmith that we've come to know. But it's definitely a more rockin' record. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And And that's what I kind of want out of my music. I mean, you know, from... And that, and I think that's always been kind of the thing that defines the two of us as well, though. It's like yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel the jam, you feel the lyrics, mm-hmm. and then and then what gets born out of that is me looking stupid, not knowing things, and being completely gobsmacked by certain things. But now, get your I've got to say this because I have listened to Get Your Wings, um, you know, and they open with same old song and dance, and so you're immediately into that. Aerosmith sound right out of the gate yes. on on there. Um and so but then the rest of it is just kind of it's kind of there like there's some songs again on that that album that I'm like I wish they'd push this a little further this way or do this a little differently but what you've got a, you've got a group that uh that is more confident, you know. I mean, I'm not going to lie when we were going to do just an Aerosmith show, like mm-hmm. Lord of the Thighs was going to be one of my songs. Yeah, yeah, that and and they're having fun there with that the song. Jam. Yeah, it is. You're right. It is. Um so so yeah, I look, it, you know we love Bruce, you know I love Bruce. That that's one thing the show has given to me. Um <laughs> for sure. You know, but uh but when it, it started as forced, but you know. Well, yeah, I mean, look, did you force Bruce on me? Yes. Am I glad that that happened? Yes. <laughs> you know? Oh. Uh, so, but but that's what this show is. This show is just, it's not just, it's the discovery of music. It is the celebration of music. It is, it is, it is moments like this where we take two albums and kind of compare and contrast them. And I think it's, I think I've had a blast doing this. I have too. This was so much fun. Like a great audible call, man. And so I, I think that, you know, Here's the call I'm going to put out to everyone who's listening. 
are there two albums of the same era? Now we don't want to compare, you know, you don't want to compare. Get 84 a, to 96. Right. So it came out the same day though. Right. <laughs> right. You, you don't want to, you don't want to compare. Yeah. You don't want to compare two different eras and say, but is, are there, are there two groups or two artists from the same era that kind of released albums around the same time? that you want to hear compared and contrasted on this show, hit us up, rockoutloudpod at gmail.com, rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. Um, just over the course of the past few days, we've had ideas, you know, for, for more things. Of course, this was supposed to start, this was starting out as an Aerosmith uh, look at that group, and it turned into this, but uh, now we've got fast lyrics. We're going to do the Springsteen live thing at some point. We Almost look, famous. Almost Famous is coming up. So, look, the ideas are flowing once again. Rock Out Loud is the gift that keeps on giving, ladies and gentlemen. And we've only been back for two episodes. Love it. So, <laughs> so there. We're back, baby. <laughs> George is back. He's um, back. <laughs> He's not upset. <laughs> I love that Kristen identifies with George Costanza, of all people. George and Elaine, man. I mean, come on. You got the kicks going at the at the dance. Oh, I love a good high kick. There you go. <laughs> well, Elaine does little kicks. She's I know, but if you see me at a killer show, I'm high kicking all over. Well, the place. sure you are. Sure you are. <laughs> Do we want to get right? And that wraps it up for us here on Rock Out Loud. Again, the email is rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. We've got a Goliverse group of all the different Goliverse uh, uh, shows uh, over on Facebook. You can get there by going to geekoutonline.com slash group. It is private, so you'll have to kind of just put in what shows you listen to. It'll ask you some questions to get in. But we'd love to have you getting over there. And just like any good rock and roll, we want you to disrupt the, the status quo in that group. Where everyone's talking about Star Wars and Marvel and DC, come in there and drop a little bit of uh, drop a little bit of Bon Jovi, drop a little Def Leppard, drop a little bit of uh, Dirty Honey, you know, yeah. drop drop some struts, whatever you know. But get in there and 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 get involved with the rest of the Goliverse. We have a good time. Or if you just want to head over to our Facebook page, uh, just look for Rock Out Loud on Facebook, and uh, we're on Twitter. At Rock Out Loud Pod, I believe is what we are. I haven't been on Twitter in so long. The I, the most I've been on Twitter lately was for the actual marathon. Yeah, I'm not I kept, on a lot either. Where but. I kept tweeting stuff out. But if you want to get us there, really, the be- yeah, it's at Rock Out Loud Pod on Twitter. The best way, truly, 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 to get in touch with us is rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. And so, Chef David Chang, if you're still out there, hit us up, you know. Alex, Matthew, Jamie, who sent us a piano version of a strut song that I don't know that we've talked about from uh, One Night Only. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so we have time. Flag it. Yeah, I'll flag it. We hadn't talked about it yet. So um, all kinds of stuff. So, hey, we'd love to hear from you. Rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. It's been a blast. Kristen, thank you so much for doing this. Until next time, I'm Steve. I'm Kristen. We'll see you on the next Rock Out Loud. Rock on, everybody. Rock on, guys. Bye. I like this part.
Do you think the reason like uh, Metallica did the S and M thing with the symphony and other people went symphony was because of that part of rock, of uh, Let's Get Rock? Let's go with that. Yes. Attention, everyone. This is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn on your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go. Do we want to get right? What's this you say? What is this thing that I'm hearing? This is Rock Out Loud. It's the Rockinest podcast in the land. And apparently, we're still going to hold off on saying it's back. But can we say, you know, two episodes in the span of like two weeks? That's 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 fresh and new. So this is exciting stuff. We're, we're back on Rock Out Loud. It is the Rockinest podcast in the land. It's the podcast where we take a look at the music you love, the music we love, and uh, the music that just jams, as it were. And uh, we're so glad to be. In fact, I believe we had someone email and say that we are a repository of classic rock history, and I'm glad to be so. My name's Steve, and with me is the rockin'est chick in the land. It's Kristen in Jersey. What's going on, Kristen? Hi, everybody. And like Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. Two out of <laughs> Well, what are the two out of Oh, the repository of classic rock history. Well, no, it's been like two out of three weeks we've done a rock. Oh out yeah, loud. oh it's awesome. It's it's fantastic, <laughs> you know. And and let's let this breathe. So that's what we're all about. We're getting rocked here tonight on on a, or today. Whenever you're listening, it's tonight as we record live at mixler.com/goliverse, and we want to welcome all the Mixler Zoo crew. Standing in, stepping in, and listening in with us, and um, and and it's it's just good to be here. It's good to be doing this thing. And and right out of the gate, our our friend S underscore A underscore D um, has asked a question in the chat. You got you guys find any great rock songs that came out in the last year? I mean, when did that last Struts record come out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. We're, I'm, you guys know we're way more about like the classic rock than we are right. the new rock. Right. Um, but there's a lot of records that are going to be coming out this year. Like I'm super stoked for the Kaleo record um, because that's finally going to come out and I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new Killers record is probably going to come out this year, which is amazing. The Struts are working on a record. I mean, who knows what My Chemical Romance is doing. So... We shall see. And Def Leppard's coming out with a live DVD CD this year. Not new songs, but whatever. Well, they're, hey, Def Leppard, great live last time I saw them. And I guess it's been four years ago. Oh, so good. They're do- yeah. So it's they just announced it today, which is February 27th. Five years ago, I guess. 
it is the DVD for Live from London, and then they're doing Vegas. So they're doing their show at the O2 Arena in England, where they did Hysteria start to finish, and then they're going to do their Vegas residency, which they went deep, Steve. They performed We Belong off the self-titled record, where they all have a verse. They performed that in Vegas, and I would have died. Didn't Now, it wasn't in Vegas where they were doing like the, their own opening act, was it? The Dead Flatbird? So that was in Vegas, but not this time. Okay. Yeah. All right, because I, I know I they were doing like some of that old stuff. Um, this is something that Kristen introduced me to that I don't, I guess it came out in the past year. I don't know. That's Dirty Honey. It's called When I'm Gone. And, and the hook on that song is just out of this world. It's got They're good. It's got such a that well I mean that song alone has just such a great hook. And um, they are uh, Kristen I was actually doing the Big Honkin show and Kristen texted me and said, "Have you heard this dirty honey?" And I'm like, "What? No." <laughs> <laughs> so imme- what? so immediately on the show we play it and I was not disappointed. It was good stuff. I mean, I know what you're going to like. Also, while we're shouting out like new bands, like I'm just saying there's a band called Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, I think it is. I know it's Tuck Smith. There's too many words after his name. But he was the ex-lead singer of Biters, who I loved. And he's opening up for the stadium tour this summer with Motley and Def Leppard. And I think you would love him too, Steve. Mm. Very like power pop rock. Oh, power pop rock. I am so there. Yes. You talking about like a Brian Adams kind of feel? Um, a little, so I, he says that he's like Brian, if Brian Adams and Joan Jett had a baby. Okay. That's, hey. that's, that's what he's going for. All right. Um, is there a song? Um, yeah, hang on. Let me pull up something. I just so pulled I up get... YouTube here and it says, what kind of love? What kind of love? Roll it. Well, let... yeah, I hear the. <laughs> I mean, they are, um... You didn't even get to the hook. I'm sorry. <laughs> well... I mean that's some good stuff. They, it sounds like it sounds like the guitar riff from uh, or the guitar chords from. Um, I feel like it's "Love Stinks." Damn. Look what Ted said in the chat. I heard a little love stinks. Yeah, there's a little love stinks. As it opens up, it definitely does have that Joan Jett kind of feel with that with the chords opening up and everything. The dude looks like he kind of looks like um, uh, Rob Thomas in the face. 
so uh, so funny that you should say that. Um, Angie the other day was like, "You have a type," because I showed her, <laughs> and I'm like, "Shut up!" But like, he is like, he's such a good dude. Like I said, like he used to be the singer of Biters, mm-hmm. and I loved them. I went to see them live a bunch. Like he's from the South. He has he like Steve. He's like you, just like that very Southern, like kindness, very nice, very fun. Um, and yeah, like this isn't Biters. Biters was a little bit heavier, but hey, I. I can't stand some like, you know, or I can't uh, resist some, you know, sugary pop rock. Well, you know? yeah, yeah. Look, and especially if it's got that 80s feel to it, it it, it does. And 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 that did like that felt like a little bit of a, like just the chords and everything did feel like, hey, we're going to throw in. And especially knowing the the like the what kind of love and, the, and all that talk, it does. It does make sense that they would kind of homage, give an homage to Love Stinks in there. And, um, I that's love funny. it. Apparently, that record is going to come out in like June. It's mm-hmm. going to come out right before the stadium tour starts. So okay. just saying, Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts, y'all. Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. All right, uh, that's all I've got from this past year. I don't, I don't really find new music. I always wait for you to find new music and tell me. And <laughs> say, so, hey, I this mean, is good. I have a, I have a very, very uh, thorough filter. I mean, I don't listen to a lot of new music either and i try i really try hard to like stuff but sometimes it just i can't can't do it well i don't i don't want to be like the old guy that's like you know this music is not as good as what we had but at the same time it's not (laughs) well everything that you turn on the radio in here there's so much of it that is filtered through you know an auto-tune or you know it's produced to death um and and I guess there's some, you know, there's still some rock music out there, but it doesn't get the airtime. Like, you're not going to hear it on the radio, necessarily. I was uh, just going to say, like, I mean, you watch any of these stupid award shows, and it's like, oh, 21 Pilots won a rock award. And it's like, what? Who? That's not rock. Like, the stuff that they put in the rock category is, like, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So we're in a really weird time where people consider music that is definitely not rock, rock. I don't understand. Right. Right. So any, yeah, that's, I mean, sincerely, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I turn stuff on. I don't, or they're trying around here down South, you know, they try to play all the, the country sound and rock that they can. Oh, and no, no. and country no, no. music has, has bled so much over into, into what rock once was, um, or what they thought, or what they've almost become Southern rock, but not quite. They're not yeah, quite like not, there. Not as heavy. Right. Yeah. They're, they, they refuse to go full, southern rock and they still just want to be country and so really country music a lot of times is rock music with a real bad southern draw it's just not it's not for me yeah now hootie (laughs) speaking of country darius rucker who went country he and hootie and the blowfish released a new album last year that slipped past me oh i was gonna say are you saying that like it's good are you recommending that Uh, i can't underscore a underscore d i haven't I haven't re- I haven't listened to it enough to recommend it just yet. We we played a track on the Big Honkin' Show this past weekend when I realized that Hootie put out a new album in two in November, um, in fact, of last year. So just about three or four months ago, and um, yeah. So, but I haven't really given it enough of a listen to know if I recommend. If I'm going to recommend a Hootie and the Blowfish album, I'm going to recommend Fairweather Johnson, which is the sophomore outing. After Cracked Review, everyone knows Hold My Hand and Let Her Cry and everything. But Fairweather Johnson has some really good music on it. The problem is, <clears throat> it sounds just like... every Like, it just sounds like... the it, It's a problem, but it's also a good thing. Because you have that... There's that struggle when you have a band that you like. 
of you don't want them to sound too different from the album that you loved that they put out, but you don't want it to sound so much the same that it could have just been the on the you know that these could have just been rejected songs from the first album. It's a lose lose situation. It really is, and so <laughs> I don't know that there was enough evolution in Hootie and the Blowfish between Cracked Review and Fairweather Johnson, but I would. Uh, I do recommend that album. I think it's a good one, but it's not last year, so I've gotten way off topic as I do. Um, <laughs> so. I mean, it's fine. This is rock out loud. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, about we went a- on a twenty-minute Joker tangent. Last <laughs> <laughs> That's right on the marathon session. Which, by the way, thanks to everyone, we didn't meet our goal. We raised thirty-four, a little over thirty-four hundred dollars, almost thirty-five hundred dollars, I believe, we raised. Um, and, and so I want to thank everyone who, who gave, we reached out to cure and Hannah from cure actually sent a nice thank you card to the Goliverse saying, thank you for, for the marathon, for the sixth annual Goliverse marathon and, and how much it means. And, and I, and she'd actually emailed and I emailed back and said, you know, we didn't hear our goal. It was kind of disappointed not to do that. And, uh, she said, here's $3,000. This is what $3,000 can do. When it goes to cure, uh, provides 30 counseling sessions for a patient, parent, or sibling of someone who is, uh, you know, a patient of cancer. Uh, $3,000 provides prescriptions for 18 patients, provides 66 newly diagnosed families with a resource tote that they give these families when they enter in. It has just different things in there that they would need that will help them through the through the coming weeks and months of stuff. And $3,000 covers over half the cost of gene sequencing for one child whose cancer has relapsed. So, And they use that, of course, for the research and everything. So there's a lot that the money can do. And next year, hopefully, we'll hit that $5,000 goal and do more. But we thank everyone who donated and gave. It's good stuff. Um, did we talk about David Chang emailing us? We did talk okay. about David Chang. Good. I was just glad that Chef David Chang had emailed us. Um, and then we had other people asking, was the podcast over and that sort of thing? And honestly, we didn't know, but it's back. So here we go. We back. We back. So you can email us at rockoutloudpod at gmail.com, rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. And I think it was Tim Thompson who had said, um, no, I'm trying to find, was it David Chang who said this? Um, I don't know, but basically said this is a great podcast because of the way it it helps with the history and it and it keeps the history of this stuff alive. So it might have been stuff. Matthew Hardinger. Yeah, I just he says I just started listening. Now, granted, this was back in June. I geek out on rock history. We we need to respect and appreciate that music more than ever. So we're geeking out on rock history with this guy, with old Matthew Hardinger, and uh, and I'm glad to be doing so. And a piece of history that we were going to geek out on on this particular episode <laughs> was the band called Aerosmith. Now, and then, and then, and then, Chris, an <laughs> and then we decided let's talk about Bruce Springsteen instead. No, we're still talking about Aerosmith. I know, I know. Just a really weird coinkadink. I know, I know. Um, Kristen sends me a text today, and she's like, "Hey, here's the neat Bruce and Aerosmith connection." Uh, their first albums were both released on the same day uh, under the same record label. Yep. And 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 we were talking, and she said, so we could do like a segment about how the you know compare and contrast. But I said that could be the whole show. 
And so now that's the whole show. That's the whole show, guys. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go back to uh, these these opening volleys of albums that were released with with uh, obviously. I mean, I, I'm trying to think back to to like listening to Bruce's book and everything. Surely these guys had demos and stuff that they were putting out there and maybe selling it. I mean, it was a different world back then, of course. Like, it cost money to go to get a demo pressed and and that sort of thing if you wanted to do something kind of professional. So I don't I don't know if they were selling music on you know before they would. Yeah, get these. I mean, it's definitely not. You know, they weren't handing out CDs. Like, if you right. had a CD, you were signed by a label. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> a label did that for you. Right. Yeah. So, so these albums were released, as we said, on the same day. Bruce's Greetings from Asbury Park. Whoop. And then Aeros- and then Aerosmith's self-titled album. Both released on January 5th, 1973. What a great day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Your birthday. So. <laughs> Just a few years too early. Um, I know. What a, that would have been such a good birthday present. R- w- would it have been? Uh, well, yes. I, I don't want to get overly critical of these albums because obviously, <laughs> you know. But uh, you're going to. But, well, because obviously they both led to great things. And I, th- I don't know. I sincerely don't know whose journey was longer to to lead into those great things. Because, you know, I, just re- listening back to Bruce's book and everything, like, it was a real struggle going yeah. into that third album. Like, there was a lot of pressure to perform and succeed. It was um, literally, if you don't do anything on this record, if you do not sell this record, you're done. Have fun in the bar scene for the rest of your life. Right. And and toys... Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah, there would be no, there'd be no Bruce on Broadway, that's for sure. No, there'd be no Steve going to see Bruce in Atlanta. Uh, that would it, what? And what would I have done that night? I would have sat at home and podcasted. Um, <laughs> we did that the next night. So um, it, we we did. It wasn't long after, was it? No, it was literally the night after. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> that was a great show, though. I'm not gonna lie. It was, it was such it was a great so show. Fun. All right. So, but and but. In a, in a lot of ways, I think Aerosmith was kind of in the same boat um, because they had they, they hit with their self-titled album. And then the second I'm trying to pull up their discography here really quickly because I remember I was actually doing research for an Aerosmith show. Look at you, Steve. Yeah, their, their second album, Get Your Wings, which came out a year later, um, it broke the top 100 on on the charts but it got to only got to 74 and it would yeah, be toy and it would be toys in the attic that would you know get into that top 20 it it peaked out at number 11 uh now look it's gone obviously you know since they've come out the aerosmith has gone two times platinum but toys in the attic is eight times platinum you i know. mean it's a big one right so to speak Again, um, that third record, man. We talked yeah. about it with Bruce. Like that third record is where both of these bands really kind of found their footing. Right, and so I don't know though if if they had the same kind of because they were also they didn't have the same kind of money poured into them either that Bruce had. Uh no. 
<laughs> I I literally I was telling Steve like I watched a documentary about Aerosmith and they said like these albums came out on the same day and for like every one dollar that the record company gave to um, Aerosmith for promotion and all that sort of stuff they gave a hundred towards Bruce mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so but now what's interesting is is when you look at the at the peak chart position for the Wild, the Innocent, and the E Street Shuffle, that uh, uh, Springsteen's second album, it peaked at fifty nine, so it actually charted higher than Aerosmith. But with the money they were putting into Bruce, it wasn't high enough. Yep. And and so <clears throat> so, but then Born to Run peaked at number three. And then it just it went off. Well, then it's you have gone. Time it's, and Newsweek and all the craziness. Right, and it's gone, and and it and it charted that year worldwide in in nineteen seventy five. Um, six times platinum U.S., two times platinum in Australia, two times platinum in Canada, gold in New Zealand, uh, or not? I mean, the Netherlands, platinum in New Zealand, platinum in the U.K. So I mean, this is you know that Born to Run was a monster record. Yeah. You know, and then Bruce also was not known for the problems of the rock and roll lifestyle that Aerosmith would become to be known for. No, they were, they were essentially literally two opposite sides of a coin. Mm -hmm. Like Aerosmith was, we're going to party and be rock stars and drugs, chicks, booze, all that. And then you have Bruce who is known as like, you know, the boss Mm -hmm. who, when he had band members that were getting a bit too rowdy, he would crack the whip. Yeah, and that's and you know, and I, I go back to his book. That's it. You know, he always said it's all about the music. It's all about the music, and and so when you got off when you got off that that path, it, it was a problem. With Aerosmith, it was the rock and roll. I mean, it was the rock and roll lifestyle, and Aerosmith had to have that comeback that they had thanks to Run DMC. Mm-hmm. You know, to really kind of come back into the public eye and and. And, and and have their really their second run at life, you know, um, through into the in you know the eighties into the nineties and everything, and they still have been up and down, you know. Aerosmith has they they've they've been on kind of shaky ground ever since, to be honest yep. with you. I mean, Girls of Summer, eh, just like <laughs> eh, not not so great. But. Well, I'm just talking about personal lives and everything too. Like, oh, well, you know. yeah, you mean like you know. Steven Tyler, when that meme of Steven Tyler looks like someone's grandma. Right. <laughs> love, honestly, though, like, I love it. And I'll tell you why. Like, if that's your look and that's what, like, because, I mean, Steven Tyler is kind of always dressed like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just because, you know, he's 70 or almost 70 now, like, I mean, that's going to be me. Like, I'm still wearing crazy stuff when I'm 70. That's just who I am. So, you know what? You do you, Steven. <laughs> I appreciate you. Well, I mean, look, Steven Tyler would fit right in nowadays you know in a lineup with uh Mick Jagger and Keith Richards you know and and he would and you could have probably dressed him as a pirate and put him in those pirate movies just like they did um Keith Richards (laughs) it's so funny though because I mean like again like two sides of a coin like Aerosmith very much about like the look and you have Steven Tyler and you have the scarves on the mic stands like they looked like a rock band like mm-hmm. quote fingers like what you think a rock band would look like and then you have Bruce who 
literally just looks like a normal person. And then even now, like, Bruce walks around Asbury Park and doesn't even get noticed because he's so low-key. Whereas, like, Steven Tyler's walking around, you're like, one, that is an interesting outfit. And then you're like, oh, my God, because that's Steven <laughs> Tyler. Like, he's not getting the Bruce incognito mode treatment, you know? Right. And, and, and two, you get to their shows, and it's a whole different thing. You know, oh like God, yeah. it's it's not and not just because of the music, but also the aura, because that's in the because the one thing I said about Bruce from, you know, from the get go, especially after seeing him, was this is a guy who is as cool as anybody cooler than anybody in the room. And he's smiling, you know, and you don't associate the smiles with um, with with the super cool you know, who rock out. And though Steven Tyler's up there dancing around and doing his thing and strutting and, and slinging that mic stand around and all the way he does, you know, you still don't get just the, the joy of, of the music that oozes off of him the way that it does of Bruce. You know, what's interesting though. Like you talking about the live show, like both of these bands literally like made their reputation through touring live mm -hmm. and like through gaining an audience through their live performances. Yep. So again, it's like, and you know, I'm sure there's bleed over in the fandoms, right? Like even in the seventies, you probably had people that were into both, but they definitely speak to very, um, different, like in terms of what you're looking for with the show, because I mean, you watch Bruce's shows from the seventies, like he's literally like wearing his heart on his sleeve mm -hmm. on stage. Like the shows are so raw and like, so just like astounding. And then you have Aerosmith who are just going to come out and they're literally just going to attack you like a machine gun, you know, <laughs> right. like they're not going to stop. Like they're relentless where Bruce is not so much about that. Like I'm going to hit you and keep hitting you. Bruce is like, you're going to come on this ride, get in mm -hmm. the car. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Now let's put the record on. <laughs> right. Right. And and so it's just it's such an interesting trajectory for both of these um, artists that, you know, that, that Bruce is on Broadway this past year. And who knows where Aerosmith's going to show up? You know, who knows if they're going to make their next concert or not because of. The, you know, lingering effects and that sort of thing. But th they both had, honestly, Kristen, I feel like they both had kind of auspicious starts as it pertains to their studio albums. I completely agree. And so I, I figure we'll, let's, let's give it a listen. Um, do we want to go, well, Aerosmith has eight yep. tracks and Bruce has nine. So do we want to go, I guess it, we'd need to go Bruce first. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll end with Bruce. And then we'll end exactly. <laughs> well, I done. mean, I I didn't make a playlist that like showcases all this because I'm right. psychotic today. <laughs> well, we're just <laughs> all right. Well, this is the opening track from Greetings, uh, Greetings, and that's how we'll be referring to the album the rest of the time. Um, because Steve's a true fan, so he <laughs> could just say Greetings. He doesn't have to say the whole thing. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just thinking about, you know, for time's sake and everything. <laughs> so, no, greetings is what we call it. In that's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I'm glad to know that. So here we go. And this is Blinded by the Light. This is a familiar song to everybody. And the 
summer with a teenage diplomat In the dumps with the mumps as the adolescent pumps his way into his hat With a boulder on my shoulder feeling kind of older I trip the merry-go-round With this very unpleasing sneezing and wheezing the calliope crash to the ground So most people are familiar with the cover of this song. Yes. Um, I mean, it's the only number one song he's ever had is the cover version. <laughs> is that a true story? It is a true fact. Oh wow, that's not even not even uh, born in the USA. Nope. Wow. Bruce is convinced it has to do with the word "man friend man changed," which you know we're family friendly on this show, so I'm not going to say it, but you could look it up. Right. Well, also, I mean, I will say this, like. Obviously, because I'm used to the Manfred Mann version, because that's the one that gets all the airplay on classic rock stations and everything. Um, when when you get though down to the to the musical side of things, I really dig the groove that they've got going on that song. Mm-hmm. It's it 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 has a it has a fun little groove to it, and with now now the cover. You know, it comes in, you know, blinded. They just start with that. You know, <laughs> like we're just going to go hard. Right. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and so, and then they kind of get into the lyrics, but like the chorus takes center stage in Manfred Mann's version. Um, not here. Not here at all. Like it, here you go like through three different verses before you finally get to that chorus. And and it's fine, you know, like because what that does is that really, um, well, it does what you want to do with Bruce music. It it highlights the lyrics of the song. Yeah, buddy. You know, so it does. And it's just like the the rhyme scheme there. Like Bruce could have been a rapper. Well, here's the crazy thing: is like if you ever want to see Bruce kind of um, break down this song, look for the storyteller's version of the song on YouTube. Um, but he literally sits there. He's like, I had a rhyming dictionary. And then at the nice. end, he's like, going through this, like, at this point, the rhyming dictionary is on fire. It is in flames. I couldn't put more in this song if I tried. I mean, it's true, though. <laughs> it's one of those songs like, you know how, um, like, bring it to the 90s, Steve. Mm-hmm. I hope that you remember this song. Do you remember the song I Want You by Savage Garden? AKA uh, the Chicken you're talking Chicken about, song? you're talking about anytime I see your face, I just close my yes! eyes and I am taken to a place where the grace don't mind. The magenta feeling taking shelter in my spine, like yeah, a chicken like cherry, cherry, cherry cola. cola. Yeah, I of course I'm. <laughs> <in his own. laughs> yes, I just hold on tight and <laughs> yes, I remember I'm that. So the of the... Yes, you're talking about so Savage Garden in 1997, 1998 ish. Yeah, 
yeah. So it's like one of those songs where like you're literally singing it and then you get to a point in the song where you're so out of breath and you're like, okay. Okay. Well, it's it. Let's start over. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, is and I think I've talked about this before on some other shows. I um, love songs that have speedy lyrics like that. Yes. And I want yes. and I want to learn them. My favorite being "One Week" by Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, chicken the China, the Chinese chicken. Yeah, you have a drumstick and your brain stops ticking. Uh, <laughs> but like, and I love just looking at someone. Like, it's man, you know, because now everyone wants to say the rest of it. It's bad. This is a show topic. What's that? Oh, fast lyrics? Yeah. No, you're talking about life is a rock, but the radio rolled me? You're talking about uh, we didn't start the fire? <laughs> Are these the kind of things you're talking about? Done. And yes. now, And now I pull out the Marvel notebook and a pen. <laughs> Classic. Well, doing that um like while we're at the start of the whole you know greetings from raspberry park thing like this record is meant to be the sound of the jersey shore so you hear a lot of weird stuff on it because i don't know if any of you have ever been to new jersey or been to the boardwalks here but it's a very strange place so you hear this like weird carnival type music and like when you know the context of it, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get that. But when you're like, you know what? <laughs> My first record is going to be this weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably not going to get the most, like, worldwide commercial success with it. <laughs> right. Even though, I mean, if you, like, when we go through this record, there are so many songs on here that are staples in, like, a live Bruce show. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, and again, it's one of those things that, I think that it's a it, and gosh, I feel like I don't want to dump on the Aerosmith album, but I feel like because of the the way that when you listen to Greetings, you're getting Bruce. Yes. When you listen to Aerosmith, you're getting all of their influences. Yeah, you're getting some band. Right, and it and it took. Aerosmith, uh, uh, you know, their second album, they kind of break out of that. And by their third album, they've really established kind of what their sound is going to be. And they did evolve over the years, you know, into what people are really familiar with from the late 80s, early 90s, you know, mid 90s, um, you know, right up to Armageddon. Uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, am I wrong? No, it's okay. just funny. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Is Armageddon not peak Aerosmith? I mean, as far is, as the height of their popularity, that's their only number one single. Had 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 Aerosmith not had "I Don't Want to Miss a Thing," there would not have been the 1999 MTV Music Awards, where they bust through and they end up playing "Walk This Way" with Kid Rock and Run DMC. Oh, yeah. And they're throwing the mics at each other. Yes. Yeah. That was a great yeah, that, performance. That was like that was the golden age of the VMAs, everybody. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was the last time it was any good. Oh man, what a time to be alive. <laughs> and that was twenty one years ago. <laughs> Back in our day. Back in my day. Yeah. See, you're getting there with me, Kristen. You'll you'll I get am. there. Once you hit thirty, man. I went to a store the <laughs> other day and I'd show my ID and this girl was like, Oh my god, there's no way you're thirty. You just look so incredible for thirty. I'm like <laughs> 430. I didn't know 30 was 4, 60. Oh my 4, god. 430. You look fantastic. I know. I was like, this is the most back 
backhanded compliment I've ever yeah. heard in my life. I'm I can't like, believe wow, now I know how people feel. Can't believe you're so old. But you look great. You look oh, great God. to be such an old hag. Um <laughs> punk kids. See, you're about to see. You're about to see how much of punk how much punk kids are punk kids. It's coming. I, mean, I already hate children, <laughs> so like it's just amplifying. <laughs> well, here we go. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take it. If we're going to compare and contrast, we really do need to compare and contrast the albums that we came here to talk about. Yes. So, uh, here is Aerosmith from their self-titled album. This is uh, this is their first. This is the first track. It's called "Make It." I mean, like, I was really shocked when I put this, pulled this album out, pulled this album up and started to play it when we were planning on just doing Aerosmith song because I'm, this is not Steve Tyler to me. Like, I'm like, is, and I even double checked, you know, was Steve Tyler the lead singer at this point? Because, like, when we did our journey look back, oh, you know, yes, yes. I was really surprised to find out that Neil Sean was doing lead vocals on some of those early albums you know where they were trying to really do their progressive rock stuff and everything and and i was like is this someone else that's not steve perry or steve tyler i mean and and sure enough it's steve tyler i'm like this isn't steve tyler that's the weird thing with this record is like you could play this for someone that like knows of aerosmith like they know the hits like very basic knowledge you would never think that this is aerosmith except for literally one song right Like one song on this record is like foreshadowing of what's to come. Everything else, it's kind of like this band searching for an identity, Mm -hmm. which I mean, like for your first record, that's totally fine. Yeah. Search for your identity. Um, But like I I was saying today, like this record reminds me of a a record you would hear in like a bar in a movie. Mm hmm. And it's not like you can't place it like you can't really place who it is. Right. But you're like, yeah, this is like this is a good rock song. Like, yes. Yeah. That's the vibe I get from this record. Yes. It it's very much it could be any rock band from this era playing playing this record. Like that's that's it's very much they have a very generic 70s rock sound. So much so, and now Kiss was just forming around this time. Uh-huh. In fact, in January of 1973, this is when Kiss was forming. And when you listen to these opening chords here from them from Aerosmith That has a very Kiss feel to me. Not that it, obviously Kiss is not; they are just now forming as this album is being released. But 
you know, you can really kind of see, okay, what these guys needed was that thing that sets them apart from other rock bands. And it's interesting because, like, it's the five members. Like, it's not like Joe Perry isn't in the band yet. Like, Joe Perry, iconic guitar sound, mm -hmm. tone, guitar hero. And again, this doesn't sound like him either. No. So it's just, it's such an interesting record because Aerosmith does have such a signature sound. And I would I would love to be able to talk to them about this in particular because I you you have to wonder were they just young and and being influenced by whatever they were influenced by or were they scared to really break out and 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 show what they were capable of with the exception of the one song that we'll get to yeah because Which I think I mean I don't know the track listing off the top of my head mm -hmm. but like I feel like it's one of the next few songs. It's number like, three. It's, it's the third track on the album. Yeah, it is early on the album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, and, and as you get toward the end, as you get toward some of the later tracks, there are some interesting things that do sound like you can really hear their bluesy roots. And yes. then, but this is not one of those things. <laughs> this opening track is not what, like they really, you know, it's, I don't know if they just got, I, I haven't really dug too much into the production of it and everything, but it really does seem like that they were just kind of like, all right, this person can produce this. It'll be fine. Yeah. Like, you let's know? just, we just got to get in a studio, put something together so we can get out on the road. Right. That's what it feels like. It feels like an, a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Like we got to get a record out there so we can go out and tour it. Because it's not like it is today, where it's the opposite. You go out on tour, and then you make a record if you want to. Well, now, also, let, let me say this. The guy who produced it was Adrian Barber. This is kind of surprising to me. He he recorded the Beatles live at the Star Club in Hamburg. Mm -hmm. And he produced the Allman Brothers Band's uh, self-titled album. With, uh, and the Velvet Underground. And the Velvet Underground, yeah. We're on the same page. So, okay, good. <laughs> We're just here preserving classic rock history, everybody. So. Also, I do just want to say, too, because, I mean, the first Bruce song in this song, um, this is not going to be like a bash Aerosmith and praise Bruce podcast, because by no means is Greetings from Asbury Park a born or run, okay? Right. Well, right. Trust me. Yeah. I hate some songs on here. We'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get okay, there, everybody. I was just, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I don't have a problem with this song. Like, I'm like, okay, it rocks. I'm good. I'm good. But it was not anything like I was expecting to hear when yeah. I fired up the opening track of Aerosmith's debut album. It's just the least, like, controversial, offensive, like, I, it's like a Nickelback record, you know, where it's just like, it, it's that. It's the most basic, simple thing. That's what this gives me. Where, like, I feel like if they would have opened... I mean, we keep alluding to it. I mean, if they would have opened up the record with Dream On, then you're like, oh! Yeah, the, here's here's something that will define them for, yes. for years to come, for sure. Yes, whereas this, you're like, all right. I mean, because I, I, I imagine it like, okay, you're like a record exec, like, in the 70s, right? And, like... This is the first song that this band chose to put on a record. Like, if this was the, if Aerosmith is standing in front of you and this is the first song they play for you when they're like showcasing their material to you, you're going to be like, uh, okay. Well, like, but the also, the music isn't selling it. Right. That's the thing. The music isn't. And that's where you've got to get into the idea of the front man here. 
Um, you know, obviously, you know, they were out grinding in clubs and bars and doing their thing to get noticed. And what probably got them noticed was Steven Tyler frontman, you know, and, and the stuff they would do. Well, you said it, you know, it was their live work that really is what began to resonate with everyone. And and so, and so that's definitely the that's definitely the kicker here is, is like I can tell, because you can also tell this is a song that you know you can see Steven Tyler up on stage strutting around to, strutting around throwing the microphone stand around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just it just it was a sound that kind of took me off guard. So, uh, so we move through Bruce's album Greetings, and we get to, I mean, this is an iconic song. Old track number two. It is. It's all. It's uh. It's it's growing up by Bruce Springsteen. Well, I stood stone like at midnight, suspended in my masquerade, and I combed my hair that was just right and commanded the night brigade. I was open the. I mean, you really do get lost in his lyrics. You do. Like, this song is one of those, like, where Blinded by the Light was like, I'm going to get every single word in this song. <laughs> right. This is like, all right, let's edit some and let's tell the story. Yes. Yeah. And and it is it is his story of defiance and everything, you know, which I, I love on the... Uh, on on his on his Broadway show where he's like, I have a confession to make. I'm the biggest liar ever that has ever been. You know, he's like, I'm a fake. <laughs> you know, I never worked in a factory. I never did this stuff. And um, but like he he lived in that culture and he's able to to really communicate the feeling of that. We've talked about that a yep. thousand times when we talk about Bruce and and this does become one of his iconic songs. And it's because of the uh, because of the subject matter, you know. And, and I mean, go go ahead. Is this and is is E Street on this with him? Yes. Okay. Um, because Max's drums are just—they're driving both of those first two tracks. By the way. So fun fact: it's not Max. Oh, are you serious? Yes, it well, is Vinny Mad Dog Lopez. Well, there you go. That shows you what I, I know I about think things. Max comes in born to run. Is okay, like, is when Max. I mean, good well, time to come into the band, right? Yeah, well, but the drums are definitely driving these two tracks for sure. Like, there's a, it, it's almost, you know, you what you really want from a drummer sometimes is not to be noticed, you yes. know, and 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 just kind of have that steady good rhythm going. Uh, but what's his face? Who'd you say it is? What's his name? Vinny Mad Dog Lopez. Oh, Mad Dog. He 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 likes to play the feels, <laughs> you know. Throughout, he he likes to keep it filled in, and obviously Bruce liked that, you know, because Bruce was a perfectionist about what he wanted. So, yep, nothing's it, happening without Bruce is okay. Yeah, but it's definitely, I mean, it definitely is a 
you know, percussion driven stuff going on here, it sounds like, or at least it's produced with the percussions very out front. Um, yeah, we'll get away from that uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a few songs. Right, right, yeah. So. <laughs> also, I mean, you know, it's not a rock out loud about Bruce if I can't give a lyrical shout out. So I'm just going to give a little lyrical spotlight here. Yes. Um, I took month-long vacations in the stratosphere, and you know it's really hard <laughs> to hold your breath. I swore I ever lost everything I ever loved and feared. I was the cosmic kid in full costume dress. Let me tell you, you haven't lived until you sang that <laughs> lyric live. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Well, what about his song about being a pirate, or his line about being a pirate? The flag of piracy flew from my mask. That's right. I it's love so it. Good. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it. Like, Bruce talks about, like, yeah, he, like, I'm a fake and all this stuff, but it's like he was an outcast. He you was, know, so. and he, he was a rebel. I mean, he really did yes. live that, that rebellious son kind of lifestyle. He he definitely, you know, and that's... And, and it, you know, when we talk about Bruce, that's one of the things that really catches me about his story is the relationship with his father mm-hmm. and, and, and how, you know, they did finally kind of come to peace with one another, but there was always that tension, you know, based on him being a, a quote unquote disappointment, I guess, as a son. Yep. And, uh, and so obviously you're going to feel like you're, you're flying the old flag of piracy. And I mean, even it's weird because their relationship was so unique because I mean, even in the book, when they make up, like literally their makeup is like his dad saying, I wasn't so good to you. Mm -hmm. And and you've always, you know, you've always taken care of us and treated us right. And then all Bruce just said was like, you did what you could. And like, that was it. He said, we never talked about it ever again Mm -hmm. after that. Like that was all that the two of them needed for closure. Like. It's such an interesting story. And, like, if you guys have not read Born to Run, his biography, or, like, got the audiobook, I'm just saying, like, it's a good biography. The audiobook is read by Bruce. And, it is. And, it's, and so it just adds that much more to it. I listened to it, and uh, it got me up and down the road several times um, uh, a few years back when it came out. So um, super happy with it. Now, whereas Bruce is contemplating life and growing up, you know, in a factory town there. <laughs> um, Aerosmith is, I mean, they are full on doing the rock and roll thing. Because let me give you a few lyrics really quickly, Kristen, <laughs> as we get into this next song. The I, I need a lady, not somebody shady. Need someone to be close to, somebody cozy, not somebody nosy. Um, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Said I won't be choosy. You could send me a floozy. Send me anyone you please. <laughs> Rock- I'm actually getting that tattooed on my arm right now. All right. Well, this is somebody by Aerosmith.
so, I mean, like, this is where you begin to kind of hear those bluesy roots coming through. Yes. But it's also, and look, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of hearing, you know, Aerosmith as they went on and they did Walk This Way and they did Toys in the Act and they did all these other songs that would come, you know, and you get to Angel and Crying and all of these things. We have the benefit of hindsight of knowing what Steve Tyler's voice could actually do. We have the hindsight of hearing track three now, you know, Dream On before we get there. And it's just like, to me, I feel like Steve Tyler is caged in this song. I feel like he's caged on the majority of this record, which is so strange. Because again, like we talk about, like with Joe Perry, like, you know, very unique sound. Like Steven Tyler is such a unique voice. Mm -hmm. And we really don't hear that voice that we are familiar with on this record. Well, there's there's a place coming out of that first part of that first verse where he says, somebody to walk the road I live on, and then he tags it with a live. And like that's a moment where Steven Tyler should be like, live, you know? Yes. And and he doesn't. And, and it's just kind of like, you can do this, buddy. I believe in you. Come on. You know, give Here's me. Here's what I wonder. Like, I wonder if like him doing this and like hitting those where it's like, ooh, I see, I see like a little bit of what could be. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this record was where he was like, you know what? Like, I did that. Let's see, let's see how far I could push it. Right. It could be. Or it could be, you know, this is what you do live. You don't do this in the studio. Like it could have been a result of the producer. Could be. You know? I mean, because think about it. That was a time too where like if you think about it, this didn't really happen with Aerosmith, but you had live records that would literally break bands, like mm-hmm. that would make bands superstars. Like you had Kiss Alive, you had Frampton Comes Alive. You had all these studio records in this or these uh, live records in the 70s that were just larger than life. Mm-hmm. And it was because they couldn't capture what this band did live in the studio. And I feel like that's what happened to Aerosmith. It may, it it may be, but I, I just, I just feel like as you listen to this, cause I love the groove of it. I love the bluesiness of it. I love that they're kind of getting, because as you, as the further you go along in Aerosmith's discography, once you get to some of their much later work that hasn't really hit big, like they lean heavy into the blues. Oh, yeah, like honking on Bobo. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is one of my favorite that record titles of all time. Um, <laughs> and they've got a good song on There's a couple of good songs on there. Um, but, yeah, this but this is kind of leaning toward that, you know, and, the, and so I dig that because it is that gritty rock and roll stuff that's coming about, you know. Meanwhile, Bruce is singing about growing up, and they're like, I need somebody, you know, send me a floozy. Uh, it's just like, all right. <laughs> I see. I see the differences of what's going on. Here. All right, Stephen, we're on, we're on two different paths right now. We we're re- on two different I mean, journeys. we really are. It's a, and, but you know, and I understand that record labels, especially back then, were promote were producing a, a a wide swath of various and sundry, you know, styles and and stuff. You know, they were they were looking for whatever would make them money. Obviously, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> and now in in the days today of like you know, trying to find more niche things and things that'll hit big. Obviously the labels still want to make money, but there is a much more creator driven kind of market out there. What with YouTube and self-published music and everything. Um, so it's yeah, just a record company is not putting millions of dollars into like artists anymore, at least like rock bands, right. you know? So yeah. it's not like, it's like, yeah, take as long as you want because you're literally funding everything now. Right. Back then it was like, oh, no, you need to start making us money or you're out. Right. And so I, I just, you know, obviously 
they're going to have they're going to sign whoever they think can make them money of this area it's just so the thing i can't get away from is that these two albums dropped on the exact same day i know so and like think about this too like same day and they're both east coast artists like Aerosmith from Boston, mm-hmm. Bruce is from Jersey. So they're not that far apart, but the music that they're making could not be more different. Yep. Yep. And so it's, <laughs> but it's fun though. It, it's fun also to see that, like you say, that same trajectory of, you know, you, you, it's not until they hit that third album that they really broke through big time mm-hmm. for both of them. And, and, and you kind of, with this, you definitely see why, because there, it does seem like they're holding back, but, is it? I don't even know with Bruce if it's safe to say that he had at least one song that captured people. Like I know that he had a fan base and he was developing a fan base here in '73. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you as we switch back over to Greetings, and I kind of look and and, and see, I, you know, obviously growing up was a becomes an iconic song. But is there anything on this album that kind of like was the anchor? that would that propelled him on through no okay (laughs) like all of these songs that are like big like in the bruce lexicon right like Mm -hmm. all these songs that are huge like spirit in the night and growing up you know these are all songs that became these iconic like songs of lore in brucedom but Nothing like this record was not like, oh my god, you got to hear this one song. Like, at least the Aerosmith record has one song that it's like, no, this is the song, y'all. Right. This, this is it, guys. This uh, is the song, y'all. <laughs> this whole album is the song. If you can't get behind it, then you can't get behind Bruce. Yeah. So. I mean, like, Bruce, it's like you're listening to the whole thing because, and, and like, even, I mean, in this area, it got some record play, but even then, like, it's not being played all the time. Like, and I mean, you look at some of the song lengths on this record, like Queen couldn't even or had trouble getting Bohemian Rhapsody on radio, you know, mm-hmm. and you look at these song lengths like 506, 305, 521, 205, 517. Like these are long songs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not radio friendly. Well, not radio friendly to the to the album, to the record labels. But man, DJs love the long songs. I mean, even DJs need a little bit of a bathroom break. Well, that's the thing. No. Back in the day when, when there were actually physical DJs in studio dropping the tracks, you know, dropping the needles on the flat tracks of Black Wax, then, you know, they had to have those long songs so they could get up and smoke, use the bathroom. You hear American Pie, you know, oh, I know what the DJ's doing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They decide to play Stairway to Heaven. Oh, okay. I see what's happening over there at the radio station now. <laughs> so, um, this is Mary, Queen of Arkansas. Ugh. All right. <laughs> Mary Queen of Arkansas it's not too early for dreaming The sky is grown with cloud seed song And a bastard's love can be redeemed 
So this is Kristen's favorite song off this album. Oh my god, I hate it so much. <laughs> do you? What do you hate so much? Do you hate the slowness of it? Do you hate that he he kind of warbles and tries to sound country, or what is the deal? All of the above. <laughs> oh my, this is like just so not in my wheelhouse, and ugh, just no. And like, you know what's crazy is like this is one of the songs that that Bruce played when he auditioned for like for CBS Records. Mm. And, like, that is just so horrifying to me. <laughs> I just feel so bad for him. Like, this is a song that you're putting out there, dude? Like On, on purpose. No. Hmm. Like, let, I mean, we're going to talk about some songs on this record that are just, like, unbelievable. This is not one of them, my guy. <laughs> help me help you. Like, what are you doing? It, it is interesting because it doesn't have that, you know, a lot of Bruce's slow songs and his slower stuff, It it there's a feel to it. You know, and and you and you and you start to kind of feel it, even before he begins to sing. And here, it's just like, all right, buddy, you need to hurry up and get to the point. And and then the way the words kind of drag out, you know, and and the way that he chooses to sing the words is a little unfortunate. Yeah, and it's really exciting that this is the longest song on the record. Like, well, yeah. well, that's just. I mean, if you play, what I understand is that if you play it at double speed, it's really an awesome song. God, it be, if, if only. It, I don't even know if that could save it. It becomes this great folk jam. <laughs> I'm just really stoked that we don't have to talk about my least favorite song on, like, in the Bruce catalog. Thank God that's not on this record because I would literally like we're I I'm vetoing it. We're not listening to it. Oh, so this isn't quite at that level. What is your um, What is your least favorite song in the Bruce catalog? <sighs> Kitty's back. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> And I've had to hear it live like three mm. effing times. Because he likes it. No, he loves to play it in Philly, and that's a problem for me. What? <laughs> every well, that's now That's where I live. <laughs> every now and again, Kristen will go full Jersey, everyone. And you just <laughs> got to hear it there. No, because he likes to play it in Philly, and that's a problem for me. First of all, I do not talk like that. You, you, you did just then. You let it. That accent. You let it fly pretty hardcore. Yes, you did. Oh my god, it's not okay for me. <laughs> like some songs, it's great that they're Philly specials. Like the Fever is a Philly special. You know, you have a pretty good shot of seeing the Fever in Philly. That's amazing. Oh my god, it's 900 degrees in August, and you're gonna play the Fever. Oh yeah, that's what I need. But you're gonna play like a 15 minute version of Kitty's Back. No, no, uh, uh. That is the only time I've ever gotten out of my seat to go up to use the bathroom and go to the concession stand to get a soda because I knew I had time. Oh, he's playing kitties back. I think I'll get a churro. Yeah, John Bon Jovi could have walked down on stage, and I still would have been like, I don't care. It's literally the worst song that's ever been written. John Bon Jovi, current John Bon Jovi, steps out on stage to do a duet of kitties back with Bruce Springsteen. First of all, he would never. He'd be like, let's do glory days. <laughs> hey, man, I'm too good for this. <laughs> I'm not doing kitties back. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't either. I'd be like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Okay. I draw the line, Bruce. Sorry. Absolutely not. Well, how about we do Mary Queen of Arkansas? No. Um, no. Meanwhile, the third track over on Aerosmith is that iconic. It is that iconic breakout track for them. It. This is the anchor song. 
I really do think that would propel them further. And, and, and it's because of, I think what is allowed to happen in this, this, this is the song that's set apart from everything on, on this album. This is dream on. I want to make something clear here. I know that we've been like really heralding this and I've made it, I've made it a point that this seems like the anchor song and it is, it's the one that has lasted the test of time off of this album that people still know today. And it is the one where at the end, Steven Tyler finally gets to just kind of kick in and do his screaming and everything. But the truth of this song, and it's something I've thought for years and I'm just going to confess it here on rock out loud is I have always considered this song to sound just like every other song from the 60s. I know this is 1973, but this has very much a 60s kind of um, rock ballad-ish feel to it, you know? You think? Yeah, for sure. Until until you get down to the end. Like it, cause See, I, feel, I get 70s, and that just might be because, like, my reference point is way more in the 70s music than 60s music, mm-hmm. but... To me, yeah, it just I sounds hear, like some 70s. of that late... It sounds so, like Stairway. It does. It does. It sounds to me like those some of that late 60s, very early... I mean, obviously, it's very early 70s, but almost protest song kind of stuff, you know, where um, where they're starting to really get into using some of the electric guitars and that sort of thing. And, it, and it, I don't know. To me, it's very much a product of its time. You know, I mean, it is only 1973, for crying out loud. Um <laughs> But it it's never been, and it's also never been one of my favorite songs in the world at all. Um, but I recognize, and that's the thing. What upon listening to this album, I'm like, well, yeah, this stands out, and this 100%. stands, and this stands out because they do get to show their identity there toward the end, and it's really from the screaming, you know, that that Steven Tyler does. Yep, um, that signature sound. Yeah, and so and so that begins to establish that for them. And like I said, when you get under their second album, you really see them break away from all of their their other influences. And and even this still, you can still I just there's just influences all over it that I that I and I'm not good enough to tell you who, 
you know. But it just feels like everything else from that era. It doesn't feel special necessarily, is what I'm saying. But when you in but in the scope of this album, it sure is. Yeah, it is literally the diamond. It is the pearl. Like mm-hmm. it is like the sparkling, glittering object in the middle of this kind of record that is kind of like we talked about, like it's a band that's trying to figure out like what their thing is. You you know what it is, Kristen? It's fine. It's fine. It's Just fine. fine. It's fine. I it's mean, fine. or as Aerosmith themselves would say, F I N E fine. <laughs> yes. Now I've got to go listen to that. Girl, before I met oh. you, I was I mean, And that's the other thing, too, with Aerosmith. Like, we're kind of dogging on this record, but if we did our original thing, like, we would be gushing about Aerosmith. For because, sure. Because, like, Aerosmith, not one of my favorite bands, but Aerosmith literally has written two of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> any band, any song, any genre. Like, I don't know why, but man... And what it takes is one of them. Like, what a great song. Yeah. So seeing how we got from, like, this stuff to that is so cool to me. It is. It is really neat. And it is, you know, and it and, and like I say, you, you have to wonder, is this the song that carried them through? Because obviously it didn't it didn't chart too high. I, mean, I don't know if the single charted that high or not. I think, um, I think it charted, like, 50-something, 50 59. The album charted, you know, up, up around that way. But, the yeah, the single... Charted at 59? Boom, yeah, 59. Wow. So you see, I mean, that's the thing. And obviously, you know, in a world of music, 59, top 100, that's nothing to sneeze at. But today it's considered an iconic classic rock song. Yep. You know, you know it, what this song will always be to me, even though I knew this song before this particular reference? What's that? It'll always be the song for Miracle. Miracle. Have you have you seen the movie Miracle about the Miracle on Ice, Steve? The, the hockey movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was making. I was just like, is she talking about the inspirational hockey movie about the 1980 U.S. Olympic of team? Of course. Okay. Four <laughs> years ago, a few days ago. Do you believe oh, in miracles? And then an emergency goalie will go in and win a game on the 40th anniversary. Mm, that's. I mean, I USA, 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 USA. Um, sure. I've only I saw it once. What at what point do they use this song in that movie? They do it at the end of the movie when they're like talking about, you know, what all of the character or what characters, what all of the oh, guys during the clo- did. during the during the credits almost when they're like, yeah. And then at the end, like Herb Brooks is doing a thing where it's like, you know, not my boy. I like I taught my boys, and like my boys taught me like not only to dream but to believe. And then it goes into Dream On, and like I'm crying. Mm. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it's so good. You know what? I I just want to say here that I it it makes my heart warm that. That that movie is a is a good it, it, that you that you revere that you have a certain reverence for that film, dude. Hockey, like hockey. I mean, I love sports movies in general, right. but you know me, hockey's my jam. Yeah, and it's just incredible. Like, and they literally showed it like a hundred times last week. And me and Andrea were sitting in the parking lot of the Flyers game, and Andrea goes, "It's the 40th anniversary of Miracle on Ice." I'm like, "I know." And then she starts playing the freaking speech, and I was literally like, "Don't play this right now because I'm." cry <laughs> i i was gifted back in must have been 89 or 90 it's some little you know youth group church youth group christmas party i ended up having put in my hands like the top 10 greatest sports moments from the 1980s oh that had to be number one right? it, it was number one on that yeah and Do but here's the thing miracles? here's the thing i'm three years old in 1980 
Uh, you know, I, I I know Empire Strikes Back exists, but I could care less about the Olympics as a three-year-old child, you know. Um, I, I grew up in the South, so we're not a hockey family at all. Um, and and so what, what our family is made up of are diehard Georgia Bulldog fans. And so in my stupid little 12-year-old mind, I'm thinking, well, there better be a Herschel Walker touchdown run on here. And of course it's not, there's like, you know, there's some baseball moments and everything. I think it was, uh, was it George Brett that like was playing injured and, or was it the Dodgers? Anyhow, but the number one was the, do you believe in miracles? The, the miracle on ice. And I just remember like, like, really? That's the number one. Like even then it didn't really occur to me, you know, as a stupid 12 year old kid, I'm like, this is the number one sports moment of all of the eighties to them. But well, and the craziest thing, too, is it's like that's not even that didn't even win them the gold. <laughs> right. But the thing was, and see, here's the deal. Then, you know, as I started to think about it and realize, because I am a child of the 80s, just how big a deal it was that I'm like, let me because I was confused. And so I had to chew on it. And I'm like, all right, it's the Olympics. It's Russia. It's Russia. Mm-hmm. That they it's were the Russia. they were the evil empire. They were the bad guys, and everything was bad. I'm like, yes, we must break you, USA, USA. So, <laughs> Bring the Rocky into it. So yeah, so I really came around thanks to Rocky, um, and understood. No, I listen. Back in the in the eight, as an '80s kid, I mean, we were scared of Russia. You know, it's like, what are they going to do now? You know, and but. That so so it was a big deal to beat them. That's huge. I didn't realize. I saw the movie once and uh, hadn't hadn't seen it since because if I watch sports movies, like I feel like such an idiot when I watch those things. Why? Because I know I know how it's going to end most of the time. You know, you know that the good guys are going to win and they're going to overcome all the adversity and be real life superheroes, and it still gets me right in the gut, no matter what the sport is. 100%. I mean, they could make a movie about curling and someone overcoming all the curling adversities, and I would probably still at the end be like, "Don't you cry, Steve Clawson? Don't you cry, Steve Clawson? You know, just put some." Movies, they get me. Like the new one with Ben Affleck, I want to see it. I want to go cry. You look, just just slow down. Just put the just put the moment in slow motion and put some epic music to it. Oh, and I'm a sucker for it. I am a sucker for a good sports movie like that. Remember the Titans, anybody? Oh my God. <laughs> sunshine yes (laughs) oh sunshine all right anyhow where are we at we're at does this bus what a long okay does this bus stop at 82nd street early bruce wasn't really worried about the length of his titles of his songs either was he no he was like in he was um the precursor to emo bands that had like paragraphs as song titles thanks bruce Advertiser on a downtown train Oh, Christmas crier busted cane He's in love again When dock workers' dreams mixed with panther schemes The someday on the rodeo Tainted women in this division Before for out-of-state kids at the late show 
I mean, okay. I think the thing is about this album, Kristen, is that mm-hmm. when you, when it comes to Bruce down the road, they're they're plugged in more. And I mean, yes. I mean literally, like this is such an acoustic sound that you. It's like they they have kind of the the chain link fence of sound, not the wall of sound. Yes, which they to. get on album three. Right. Thank God. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the thing. And also, Bruce, and especially in this song, I thought this earlier, but I didn't want to make you mad. Um, <laughs> have at it. It's not my favorite song or record, so Bruce, have at it. It's almost like Bruce is doing his best Bob Dylan. Huh, yes. Yes. And I don't... There, were, there and, were actually a lot of reviews when this record came out that alluded to that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Bob Dylan is bad, you know. I I like I like I like a Bob Dylan, you know, but I don't like a Bob Dylan when I'm wanting to hear Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> here's like here's a quote that um, speaking of Bob Dylan, like when Cream Magazine reviewed this record, they said that Springsteen songs are dominated by the kind of mannered emotional transparency and absurd, absurdist energy that made Bob Dylan a genius instead of a talent. I feel like someone was just trying to throw together some words and sound smart. I mean, that's that sounds like a burn to me. <laughs> it does sound like a burn. <laughs> but at the same time, someone just trying to... They were too many words in that sentence. If I can just get real hick on you real quick. They was I mean, too many on, words Steve. in that sentence. This is the 70s and they are rock critics. That's true. You know, you know <laughs> the kind of people you're dealing with. They're just trying to be sharp. That's what we you, say. That's do you want to know what Lester Bang said about this record? Do I want to know what Lester Bang said? Of course I do. He said some of his words can mean something socially or otherwise, but there's plenty of them that don't even pretend to, reveling in the joy of utter crash show-off talent, run amok and totally out of control. Well, he raised his his pirate flag on his mast. <laughs> so. Good old Lester. Good old Lester. Is that Lester Bang or Bangs? Bangs. So like what you have in the front of your hair? Yes. Okay. All right, Lester. What a name. What is that Lester's stage I, name? Lester Bangs? That's his that's his name. That's his critic name. Hmm. He's the best character in Almost Famous. Yeah. Which is apparently turning twenty this year. Yes. And so you yes. know you know with as much as Kristen has referenced uh Almost Famous that we're definitely doing a show on Almost Famous later this year at some point. Hundred percent. We have to figure out how we're gonna do it, but hundred percent yes. <laughs> all the yeses oh all my the God. yeses I, like, we could do like the top five movie quotes from almost famous about music <laughs> about, just go high fidelity with it top five everything top five yeah oh wow high fidelity is a is a movie that is a good movie i love high fidelity i yeah. didn't love it until i was slightly older like in my teen years i did not like it mm-hmm. but as i got older i appreciate yeah, that's it. one that, that's one of those it it's very much is did John Hughes do that one? Was that one of his later ones? That he did? I don't think so. It had a real it had a real grown up John Hughes feel to it, to me. And I know it was based on a book. Um, yeah, that was based in where 
London. And so, but I, I just remember watching that and thinking, wow, this really feels like a like a John Hughes. Like Stephen like, Frears. Okay, yeah. But it felt, to me, it really did. It felt like the kids in the John Hughes movies had grown up. But also, John Cusack is so self-obsessed in that film. I know. Like, he's kind of annoying. Like, at some points, you're like, I relate to him. It's like George Costanza. Like, I kind of relate to him. I don't know that I want to relate to him, but I do. What does that say about me? What does that say about you? When you... You want to... Kristen's like, well, I wanted to be an architect. (laughs) You always knew I wanted to be an architect. (laughs) So good. Vandalay Industries. All right. Um, this is one way. And you sh- want to be my latex salesman. <laughs> That's so great. Such a great. All right. This is One Way Street by Aerosmith. Back deep into blues territory, and there. But I dig this. Oh, I, I do too. A lot. I do too. That's that's the thing is I really I like the jam. I like the long intro. I like that they're pulling out the harmonica back there in the background. I wish it'd be a little more harmonica forward. Yes. Um, but but I mean this again. This is definitely kind of showing their bluesy feel, and they have a couple others that kind of jam like that. But but it, again, I just I come back. For me, it's about the vocals, you know, because right there you kind of you you're almost to that signature sound. You're kind of creeping up to it, you know, but you're not quite there yet. Um, and and but I do dig this. I do dig this track. This is the song that thus far on this record has made me like you know nod my head, bob mm-hmm. my head the most. Like I just feel this song even more than dream on like dream on's great like obviously it has that build up the screams like all that's great but like this like if i was out i'd be like oh yeah like i yes this is my speed We're, mm-hmm. we can stay here because they're playing music that's my speed right yeah it's 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 that grooving it's rock and roll you know it's blues it it's uh it's what you want to it's what you want to see happening and again he gets to he gets to honk on bobo a little bit <laughs> with the harmonica that's his thing, you know. You know, Stephen loves some harmonica. I know, and I and I dig a good harmonica when it's put in the right place. <laughs> so, um, it, here's a line from his autobiography: uh, "The band was very uptight. 
we were so nervous when the red recording light came on, we froze. We were scared crapless. I changed my voice into the Muppet Kermit the Frog to sound more like a blues singer. There you go. <laughs> it's all making sense. And then in, in the 90s, he said, yes, I changed my voice when we did the final vocals. I didn't like my voice the way it sounded. I was insecure, but no one told me not to. And he said that producer, producer Adrian Barber was good for his time, but it was like being with a special needs child in there. And I'm not sure if it was because he was so high or because we all were. <laughs> Joe Perry's a little more critical of Barber. He says, our producer was practically useless. He had little input. That's what I said earlier. When I heard the playback, I kept thinking, we're better than this. We should sound better than this. We're being recorded wrong. We sound yeah. flat. But because I lacked the studio chops to prescribe a remedy, I kept quiet. It pained me, though, that my guitar was not cutting through. There's magic on it, but it's just not the magic I'd envisioned. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when um, Jim Steinman was producing Hysteria by Def Leppard. Mm -hmm. And would, like, while they were tuning their guitars and running through songs, he'd be like, yeah, that, that was a good take, guys. And they're like, that, we, that wasn't the take. Right. We, we were tuning the guitars. Like, it's very that. It's mm -hmm. like some bands, they need someone that is going to direct them and steer them in the studio. And especially a band like this where it's like, hi, this is your first recording. And it, it sounds like they certainly did not get that. No, no. And so, and that and that begins to explain a lot. And so when you're up against that, and, and, I, and I love the fact they're like, we were just young, we were nervous, we were insecure, we didn't know how to, you know, Joe Perry says, I didn't know how to remedy this situation. And and so this is one of those tracks that I feel like you begin, like I say, you're creeping up to what Aerosmith, the fullness of what they could be. And and you just wonder, with a different producer, would this album have dropped and hit differently? You know, would it... We'll it, never know. We'll never know. And, and, and so... We can't have, like, the Donner cut, you know? Right. <laughs> well, here's what would be... Well, it would have been interesting maybe for them to come back several years later and remaster it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I know artists aren't into that, but it's almost like when you get to a certain point in your career where you're big enough to do it. Yeah. It's like, do it. Yeah. Do it. We're going to go back and rectify the things we thought were done wrong to us. And Unless it's like an iconic first record. Like if it's appetite for destruction, oh, yeah, like, okay, yeah, you're not right. going to do that. No. But if it's this where you're like, yeah, this kind of sticks out like a sore a sore thumb. Yeah, let's let's you yeah. know fiddle around. Yeah, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> so, um, oh no, this says explicit on this song. I don't is know it, why. Is it explicit? I don't think so. I mean, they talk about nuns running bald through Vatican halls. Like that might be explicit. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, that that ramen book just comes out again. Oh my god! It? Just wait. Like I love this song so much. We got to talk some lyrics. Yes. All right, good deal. Well, let's get into it. This is um, the, uh, this is "Lost in the Flood" by Bruce. On greetings from Asbury Park. This has been fun. The ragamuffin gunners returning home like a hungry runaway. He walks through town all alone. He must be from the fort, here's high school girls say. His countryside's burning with wolfmen fairies, dressed in drag for homicide. They hit and run, plead sanctuary, neath the holy stone they hide. They're breaking beams and crosses, 
With a spastic's real imperfection Nuns run bald through Vatican halls Pregnant, pleading immaculate conception And everybody's wrecked on Main Street From drinking unholy blood Sticker smile sweet as gunner breeze deep His ankles caked in mud Said, hey, got a man that's quicksand. That's quicksand, that ain't mud. Have you thrown your sounds to the war? Did you lose them in the flood? That pure American brother delight in empty faces. Hit us with it, Kristen. Oh my God. Okay. Seriously, you heard it here. Does it get more metal in Bruce Springsteen's catalog than nuns run bald through Vatican halls, pregnant, plead an immaculate conception, and everybody's wrecked on Main Street from drinking unholy blood? That is metal, by the way. That is definitely oh a metal God. line. That does, I don't know that I've ever heard Bruce be more metal than that, as you say. I right? have to agree oh with that. Oh my God. And also, I mean, like, you know, and somebody said, hey, man, did you see did you see that his body hit the street with such a beautiful thud? Mm. I wonder what the dude was saying or was he just lost in the flood? Like this song. Let me tell you. You want to know a funny story? Yeah. You know who hates this song? Bill. No. Angie. Oh, nice. (laughs) She hates this song. So literally when we saw Bruce at Citizens Bank Park, he played the song and it was like it was such a bad set list but he played this and i was literally like throwing horns like losing my voice <laughs> screaming the lyrics of this song and she's just looking at me like oh my god like you're so embarrassed <laughs> and she's like i'm gonna get a churro now i know and i'm literally <laughs> like come on man nuns run bald through vatican hall yes <laughs> it's just so good and i mean of course you get the jersey sound out like racing sundays in jersey like and everybody goes Wah! Because the only time it's ever cool to be from Jersey is when you're at a Springsteen show. It's kind of annoying. Just, like, get on the train. We're awesome, everybody. Like, deal with it. Um, But, yeah. Blast. Love the lyrics. 10 out of 10. What is this song even about? Who the hell even knows? I was just wondering wondering if this was some more of his Bob Dylan mess or not. I was just making sure. You know, (laughs) because... Well, I mean, look, what is what is a Bob Dylan song about? Nobody knows. It's a so apparently because I just looked it up. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's about a Vietnam veteran. But I was I mean, gonna, I was, not... I was gonna say that. I I feel like that that whole conflict, that whole war, is very informative to and very prevalent in Bruce's music. Right. Right. Um, I mean, he was drafted. Yes, and he didn't have to go in because of his motorcycle injury. Which, well, no, he did everything he could to make sure he really didn't. He wasn't going to uh, pass. Right, <laughs> that's true too. That's why when everyone applauds him on Live seventy five eighty five, he's like, "It's nothing to applaud about." But we're like, "No, we're really happy that you're here." Well, and I, and of course that brings to the point, you know, where his dad's sitting at the table and he says, "Well," and he says, "I didn't take oh, me," and his dad that's said, good. "That's good." You know, after telling him he was going to send him to the military all those times, and it's just like that's when a great. When the army gets you, they're going to make a man out of you, right? Mm. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> I thought we both start crying as I li- as I was listening to this. That's what I thought. I'm like, this this seems like it's about some of that Vietnam stuff again. You know that 
really is informs a lot of his his thoughts and stuff. So um this is another bluesy thing from Aerosmith though. Like as you get deeper into this album, you know, it, it, it kind of leans into this stuff. And this is, um, I think I'm right when I say this is his mama Ken. Taking care of business. Every day. <laughs> does that not sound like taking care of business to you? It definitely does. <laughs> it has those vibes. Right. Like, I, like, this is another song. Like, I love this song. And mm-hmm. this is a, this is probably, like, Dream On is obviously, like, the pearl of the record. This is probably the second most, like, oh, biggest song. Look, you know me. You know how much I love good guitar-driven stuff and everything. And so when, when Joe Perry is just getting to just getting to jam out you know that's i mean i'm there i'm there for that yeah and and there's some brass going on in the background some some you got some, some sax some sax happening back there i should say not brass everyone shut up i know it's a woodwind um <laughs> but yeah that's happening in, in the background it's not mixed very well to be heard super well but it's there and and it's and it it's seems a, like nothing was mixed well steve well you know what it was that producer he was just a jerk i guess <laughs> I guess he, you know, he, hey, I, I recorded the Beatles live. Well, that's the only good thing you did. <laughs> you peaked. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how's it? How's it feel to have one claim to fame? <laughs> oh, I hope he made money off it. Yeah. Well, I could care less, to be honest with you, after what he did to Aerosmith here. Um, you don't deserve money. You don't deserve money. Look what you did to these guys. These are some sweet boys that just want to rock and roll. Um. But yeah, as 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 you, that's what I'm saying. When you get here, like, and you mentioned, you know, this has that, this very much has that Thin Lizzy kind of feel to it as well, or as they start yep. out. But it, to me, you know, whereas with with the Asbury Park stuff, what we're getting is is we're getting, 
you know, a musician who knew what he wanted out of his music and who knew what he wanted out of his lyrics, for sure. With Aerosmith, what we're getting is this is who we are, and we're trying our best, the best this young band knows how to, to present the fullness of who we are to you. And so I definitely can imagine seeing these guys live and probably being blown away. Yeah, with, by you the know, sheer energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the fact that he wasn't singing like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Cut loose, Steven Tyler. We That's, don't need Kermit. Well, and he, and he kind of almost does it here, too. You know, like he's just... And I, I wish I kind of knew the order that they recorded these things in because, like, you almost feel like he's more comfortable here than he's been anywhere else in the album except for the end of Dream On. Yeah, I see that for sure. So, but I, yeah, that's a, that's a song I could jam to just about any time. And like I say, it's one of those songs that, like, you do wish they would go back and be like, hey, go do this your way now. Yeah. You know, because I, it, I guess it'd be, maybe not now. I'm saying, like, you know, late 80s. Early '90s, when they were really just coming into their, you know, to the big '90s revolution for them, the '90s renaissance for themselves. Oh, so good! You know, go back and redo a song like this, and let people really just kind of marvel to it, because I think they would have, for sure. Um, all right, this is the angel. It's a bad one. It, oh, good. Looking forward to this then. <laughs> you might love it. I don't know. The angel rides with hunchback children, poison oozing from his engine, wielding love as a lethal weapon. On his way to cap heaven, baseball cards poked in his spokes, his boots and oil, he's patiently so. The roadside attend and nervously jokes as the angel's time stroke his precious pavement. Well, the interstate's choked with no. Here's the thing. I don't know that Bruce needs to do a lot of holding notes out. No. Also, get the man an energy drink or something. <laughs> Coffee. Wake up. <laughs> I'm asleep. Jesus. The angel. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's... We're uh, not there yet. We're not there at the power voice yet, Bruce. Stop. No, no. But uh, even now, I don't think that Bruce has one of those... I mean, he doesn't... His vocals have never... And, of course, he admits it. You know, he's never been the best vocalist in the world. Um, I mean, but we're going to talk about a record or a song, and, like, you're going to play, and I'm going to have you play it from a certain part. And, mm -hmm. like, we're going to hear The man could belt at a time. Yeah. And this was not that time Nope, yet. no. 
<laughs> so, and again, just a real draggy song. Like there, there's something about the the tempo of it that needs to be just upped a little bit. It, there's something maybe I, I don't. I'm not well versed enough in like music theory and everything to kind of say, but like it's one of those like you can tell that he wants you to feel what he's talking about in the vein in the vein of an Independence Day or something like that. But you just don't because it's just taking too long to get the words out. Yeah, no. Ugh. <laughs> to quote Simon Cowell, it's a no for me. It's a no for me. <laughs> um, moving on in the Aerosmith now is write, <laughs> is write me a letter. tell you i'm getting more and more frustrated with the producer <laughs> you're gonna write a strongly worded letter. i'm gonna write a strongly worded letter to a man who may or may not be dead by now he was <laughs> he was born in 1938 i did not see a death date on his wikipedia page so, <laughs> so, well, i mean he did him dirty he did because look this this song i, I we never do this but i've got to back it up and and just hit you from the beginning. And I want you to listen to what happens there way off in the distance. Did you hear Steven Tyler in the back? A little scream. Yeah. But I mean, like, like that forward, my guy. Yeah. And so it's like th th you, you've got to have a producer that hears that and recognizes that and says, we need to pot that up. Start over. Let's get that. You know, and and That's to what you pay him for, and to foster an air of fun, so that a song like this, they can really. Now, granted, you know they did talk about you know, but they they were doing these tracks in between running back and forth the bathroom, you know, doing the drugs and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, who knows? You know how it was back then, right? Right, but it's just you know, it, it's really it. it Honestly, I feel like this could be such a better album. You know, to me, listening to Greetings, it it's like, all right, you know what? If nothing else, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band gave their best effort, you know, and this is this is what he wanted to have when it came out. Did it hit the way he wanted it to? Obviously not. But I don't know that Bruce can look back and be like, Obviously, every artist looks back and says, I could have done this different, could have done this different. But in the moment, 
You know, as I understand it, I think this is what Bruce wanted to put out into the world. Yeah. With with Aerosmith, no, there's no way it was. You know, <laughs> and it's just it it's it and so it, that's what's so interesting in the tale of two albums. You know, and Bruce had a personality where I, you know, he went in and he's like, "This is what I want it to be." Yeah, unlike these guys, and I and I appreciate that you know Steven Tyler and those guys saying we were just too nervous. We didn't know how to do what we were doing. You know, and and so, and it's that classic rock rock and roll story of we got tied in with the label, and we didn't know how to deal with the label, and the music suffered for it. Thankfully, though, for Aerosmith, they were making this record in the seventies, where bands had time to develop and right, make right. other records. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. If this if this album would have come out even in the eighties, maybe. Oh, yeah, no. You know, especially had it come on out in the 90s, it would have probably been shut down quick. Yeah. Or they it's would have cra- been. It's crazy how, like, 10 years can change, like, how so much can change yeah. in just 10 years. Especially, like, for the music business then, where technology was growing, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, now we have, like, people are, the thing, the media that people are purchasing the most is music. So, of course, it's going to skyrocket and things are going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they definitely came along at the right time to uh, have that kind of, oh, we didn't know, like, we were too nervous, da 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 and then they could find, they could, like, find their footing and get it together to make their follow-up records. <laughs> um, exactly. And and that's, I don't know, and, and I think that's one of the good things about modern, the way modern music is done with so much independent promotion and production that goes on is you find your audience. And if you get beyond that, great. But if you don't because, and you know, in the day of crowdsourcing and crowdfunding and, you know, the, the, the more independent artist you are, your money doesn't all get funneled back into a label. Yep. You know, you can, you can choose to tour how you want to. And play venues where you can know the money is going to actually go in your pocket, and it's a it's a harder grind for sure. But I think the rewards when you hit, if you hit, are that much greater nowadays. I agree. Um, where do you want me to start this? Four minutes and twenty seconds, please. Oh, four twenty. All right. Here we go. This is um. Now this is actually. I feel like this is a cheat. I don't care because it's it's so you could play a little bit from the record. They're two completely different songs and this one is far superior. Well, let's hear from the record since oh. that's kind of the discussion, but then we'll play the live version here. Okay. This is this is for you. This is the 7th track off of Asbury Park. version here in just a second but i want to say this right out of the gate like that is so much a song of the melding of bruce being bruce 
and Bruce being Bob Dylan. <laughs> and wait till you hear the live version. <laughs> that ver- but that verse, as he's opening that verse, I'm like, well, this is more of him doing Dylan. But then when he hits that chorus, it's very much Bruce Springsteen. Yep. You know, and I'm sorry, old Mad Dog, he loves those feels. That, I mean, there's a lot of that going on in that song. All right, this is the live version. This is from the Hammersmith Odeon in London. Yes. In 1975. Volume back up and play. That you were born with the power of the Lord. You could leap tall buildings a single man. And your Chelsea suicide with no apparent motive. You could laugh, you could cry in a single sound. Your strength is devastating here on the face of all these eyes. Bruce at the keys oh. doing his thing and he is he's wailing in a better way there like he's his voice is not well he sounds like Bruce that we know and love but then he's also like a, the young Bruce that we know and love yes but he's he's also like there were moments where he had those pipes where he would kind of push it a little bit and he did that there that it's like I mean I'm actually kind of happy that you played the album version and this because mm-hmm. like it sounds like two completely different songs. Yep. Yep. The record version is like this, you know, upbeat, like, okay, I came for you. And then like the live version that just him on the piano is like this sorrowful, sad, like you just feel loss mm-hmm. and sadness. Oh my God. And like, literally like the hair on my arms just like stands up every single time I hear it. My eyes well up when he's like, you know, you were not quite half so proud when I found you broken on the beach. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like literally I just die. It's so <laughs> good. It's so good. Yeah. Now this is from 75. Is this, was this concert after born to run had been released? Yes. Okay. So this was when Bruce first went over to the UK and I forget the exact billboard, but I feel like when he went over there, he saw a billboard that said, you gave us the Beatles. We give you Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. And he got so mad. Yeah. 
he was like, I just want to come here and like play my music. I don't want to have all these expectations on right. me. Yeah. And he did like 10 sold out nights at the Hammersmith Odeon. And like, <laughs> they're these iconic shows. And the crazy thing too, is he was not huge over there. So when you listen to these records, like for people that are not like me, that hate crowd interaction, this is the live Bruce record for you, the live at the Hammersmith Odeon, because literally like, even during Jungle Land, when he's like over the Jersey State line, there's no cheering. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very like cheer at the beginning and the end. And that's it. Right. I, I was just thinking I've pulled out the Marvel notebook again, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we should because we love Bruce Springsteen so much. We should do some live stuff. Maybe even like look at some of these because, like, I'm just looking Hammersmith Odeon. Like, there's the whole concert apparently is available on YouTube. Yeah, um, it is. So I'm just thinking, like, we should, we might, that might be something worth doing. Twist my arm. Come oh, on. All right, done, done. <laughs> but no, and here's why. And I think it also would be interesting maybe to take a few other, or Kristen, to let's take some of your favorite live Bruce songs. This is a this is a conversation we should be having off the air. To take some of your favorite live versions of Bruce songs against the, the studio against version. the studio version. I well, I mean, there's nothing like live Bruce, so I right. will take that chance. But I th- but I mean, like I think this is a great example of you know you hear how it is on Greetings, and then you hear what he did with it live, and and it is it's a completely different song that is a lot more powerful. Yep. You know, like it's. It's one of those songs, the live version, where when I hear, like, I start it and I'm like, okay. And, like, sometimes I'm like, okay, do I want to listen to this? And then, like, as he starts singing and I just, you can't stop. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, it's eight minutes later. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I'm, Look, I've got to, I, I have ignored um, Shaz. I've ignored the chat too much. <laughs> and uh, And Shaz is, Shaz gets real passionate about music and stuff and i love it and so he's uh he's he, in the right place yeah and so i don't know where some of these things are from but when i'm talking about drummer, he's like don't get a drummer if all you want is a metronome <laughs> <laughs> and you're right shaz you're right you're right but there is something to be said about having too much feels and stuff like when you when you get a drummer who's just all feels you know, and it, sometimes the drum has to be there to drive the song rhythmically and not be the musical instrument. They can be effective as musical instruments. I totally agree. Um, on the live things, he was like, piano was too up front in the mix. Well, that's a live deal. Or maybe he was talking about that. I don't know. He says, sorry, ignore it. <laughs> so, um, where? What track are we on? We are on. What, what sorry, tra- I was sending a text. No, that's all right. I'm trying to figure out what track. I, I got lost in my in the chat there. I got derailed. I but got I, you. I got you. I got you. We are on moving out. All right, that's what I thought. So this is moving out by, and I look and not and, to be confused with the Billy Joel song. Mm-mm. Also, I mean, notice that especially as you get down to these last two songs, you know, they're taking the G's out of the words. Of course, walking the dog is a cover, um, but Mama Ken. That's like a that's a very southern bluesy kind of thing and that sort of thing. Just the the words. Here we go. Moving out by Aerosmith. <laughs> Moving out. 
I mean, that's right up my alley, by the way. That is. That's very Steve Clawson. It is. <laughs> it is. It really is. Especially when they kick it all in. But I'm going to tell you this. It's also very, and, and, it, and because it's all from the same same genre, it's very much when the levee breaks. Um, yes. Yeah, yes. You know, and, and obviously this isn't a cover, but when the levee breaks by, by Zeppelin was. Um, and uh, it, but it's the same kind of, feel they they've got the same kind of driving situation to it and, and the way the the way the guitar comes in real heavy does too but again i just feel like this could have been produced better i, I that's that is now my statement of aerosmith's first album needed a better producer <laughs> it's like if when it all boils down what do we think it they could have really done with the producer that'd be great yeah yeah for sure, because I really do dig that track a lot and i honestly everything from the last few tracks we've had from them, I've, I've really dug. Uh, I don't, yeah, yeah. Uh, the fa- the past three tracks, I've been like, yeah, I feel I'm that on board. this record has been better on the back half than the front. For despite sure. Despite having For sure. Dream On. But also, but there's still such a, the, the influences of, of other people are still, they're like, we really didn't hit the taking care of business, the sounding like Thin Lizzy kind of stuff uh, hard enough uh, earlier. Um, <laughs> You know, like we love you love Thin Lizzy. I like Thin Lizzy, but it's just like with Dylan. If I'm turned on Aerosmith, I don't want to listen to Thin Lizzy. I'm turned on Aerosmith. Yep. <laughs> you know, so. But I'm I'm into moving out. You know, I, it's it grooves. I was bobbing my head. I was weaving a little bit. I'm into it. So, but I and but I have no idea what's about to happen here with Spirit in the Night. Oh. So. <laughs> Get ready. Yeah, I hear you. Thank you. 
Now that's a familiar Bruce song. It is. You probably no. heard it live. I think I did. <laughs> this is like a staple at Bruce shows. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard this. I'm pretty sure they did this. I don't know. I have to go back and find that playlist and that play that set list and everything. Um, Everybody calls out the all night. Oh, I was at a show one time where literally two sides of the arena like challenge each other back and forth so like the one side of the arena would start and then the other side would try to get louder i was like i feel like i'm in a soccer stadium this is great <laughs> um but again that what one of the things that's really been made clear to me as we've done this and it's been fine it's fine um f-i-n-e fine yes is it is just how different these two albums are it's I crazy. Mean, I mean, it is. I don't know that we could have. Um, I don't know that we could have had two more different type albums. No, um, that came out the same day, same record label, and a few states apart. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to yeah. me. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really, it's it's amazing to to kind of see what's coming out of this era. But again, this is. You know, you get into the the mid to late '60s, right in here into these early '70s, and especially here in the '70s, this is when the rock and roll, you know, heavy metal, whatever you want to call it, this is when this really start it started coming to its own and established what music would be for so many people for a generation that has. La- I mean, like, I'm sorry, you turn on the radio and and yeah, you can find like some classic hit stuff. But when you get to classic hits, you're not hearing a lot of, as much as I love 80s pop, you're not hearing a lot of 80s pop. You're not no. hearing a lot of, what you're hearing is, you're hearing hits that we would consider, you're hearing Bruce, you're hearing Aerosmith, you're hearing uh, some Zeppelin, you're hearing um, you're hearing Journey, you're hearing all of these groups that kind of came around in this decade as being the ones who have stood the test of time. And and it's just it's it's an interesting dichotomy to see that both of these out like you go to the store on that day and you're like, oh, they've got two new groups. Who are these people? You know, I'll buy them. <laughs> you know, I'll get them both. It's new records. I have mommy and daddy are rich. So I am. So I'm going to get both records and you take them home. And I, I just, here's my 25 cents. What's that experience like? You know, what What was that experience like for someone back then? It's just an interesting, interesting... Well, and the beauty, too, is that it's both of their first records. So mm-hmm. that, that person that buys them on the same day has no idea what to expect. Right. That's the thing. It's the trajectory these two groups would take. And obviously, you know, Aerosmith, more tragic. Um, just because, not that they had, like, real tragedy in the, in the vein of a Def Leppard or... Or some of the other groups, but the the whole the rock and roll lifestyle really ate them alive, mm-hmm. and it's still you know been a burden to them, you know. Whereas with Bruce, it's been you know it's just been this steady, constant progression of his music and his vision for what he wants his music to be, and telling his story. Bruce has had a drive to tell his story. Yes, you know, even or to when tell, he fired the E Street Band, and that was awful. Or to tell a story, you know, if nothing else, and and so it, it's it's in the trajectory these these two groups or these two parties took is just really amazing to to kind of sit back and watch. So this is the last track on Aerosmith's album. It is a cover. It's a blues cover. Um, 
you know, because they are into the blues. And this is uh, Walking the Dog, which, by the way, I just read something interesting. When the album was first printed, it was misprinted, and it was Walking the Dig. Walking the Dig. And that, it, now that is some Southern-ish and right it there. Wasn't, and it wasn't until they finally got the second print. They saw the, they saw the typo, and they got the label like, this is Walking the Dog, you idiots. <laughs> so here's Walking the Dig, Aerosmith. Can I tell you, I would have worn the grooves out on that record on this song. <laughs> I do not doubt it. Again, so Steve Glossin. Well, I mean, when he just... I mean, that's some good stuff. Also, I mean, again, the production, he's doing a little screaming there in the front that's so way off in the background. And also, they apparently invited Jethro Tull to come jam on the flute for a little bit. Is that true or no? No, no, no. It just sounds like it. Do you hear the there's a there's a flute up front? It's like a and it's very Jethro Tull. Um, that blues, man. Which, by the way, I, we've never talked Jethro Tull. I don't no. want to right now, but I think uh, it would be hilarious. I know. I just feel like to hear you talk Jethro Tull would be hilarious. So I mean, Jethro Tull is the first ever award winner of uh, the Grammy category, Best Metal Record. So, yay! <laughs> and so, ladies and gentlemen, that sums up Kristen's thoughts. They got on, that right, didn't on they? On Jethro Tull. <laughs> Jethro Tull, Metallica. Hmm, who's a shoo-in for the metal category? I know! Jethro Tull. Aqualung sitting on a park bench. Um, <laughs> before the days of Wikipedia, uh huh, and 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 in the nascent days of the internet, um, I actually was not introduced to Jethro Tull until like my sophomore year of college. Oh, so you were lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, no, I found out about him at just the right time. <laughs> and this dude, we're all talking music. He's like, have you ever heard Jethro Tull? I'm like, I don't guess so, you know. But then once you hear him, you hear him everywhere. You hear him on the radio. They're playing him on the radio all the time. Um, I'm like, okay, yeah, all right, got it. This is Jethro Tull. He's like, now this is thick as a brick. And I'm like, okay. He's like, it's the whole album. You've got to listen to the whole album. I'm like, I don't think I do. Um, it's like that time I was like, Steve, you have to get into Bruce Springsteen. Here's Live 7585. It's three records. Right, right exactly. It's a three-disc set. <laughs> 
But they're like, and I'm like, thick as a brick. And he's like, yeah, this kid makes a lot of cool Robin. I said, this kid, he's like, this is all a poem that a kid wrote and, um, and won an award for. And, and Jethro Tull said the music. I'm like, is that true? He's like, yeah, it's in the liner notes and everything. <laughs> and so I'm like, this is amazing. Look at the, listen to these lyrics. How's a nine-year-old boy writing this kind of stuff? And then, of course, you know, I'm like, this something's wrong. Something's not right here. I'm like, is this true? And so we started to do our research as best we could in the mid-90s um, and discovered, no, that was just a story that was put out there for the album. Oh, Yeah. You were yeah. duped. Everyone was, Kristen. Everyone was. It wasn't just Unacceptable. us. Unacceptable. Yeah, it wasn't just us. It was everyone. So anyhow, um, I look, End of the at the end of the day with this Aerosmith album, Aerosmith, um, by Aerosmith, uh, I, I I dig it. I really do. I see it, it. To me, what was so shocking was how little they sounded like Aerosmith that we would come to know and love. Yeah, but, it is a record without an identity. But I guess you know, in a lot of ways, that's true of a lot of early records by bands. I mean, you know, if you listen to, um. High and Dry, which is an That's awesome not album. Their first record. It's not their first record, but it's earlier than you know. It's not the <laughs> it's not the sound that would come to define them. You know, it's not the Star Wars of of music. The Star Wars for the years. That's right, <laughs> Star Wars for the years. Yeah, you know. But I'm just saying, like, even with Def Leppard, as good as it is, you know, it. it there's still some growing and developing to do. Which again, is that's the catch twenty two with everything, you know. You want stuff to sound like you know it sounds, but at the same time, you want things to change. Not every record can be Appetite for Destruction, which is good, mm -hmm. because after Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses were awful. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's hard to light a candle in the cold November rain. Apparently. Sometimes Ooh. you need some time on, on your, your own. You. All right, anyhow. Um, well, let's round out old greetings here. With, uh, it's, it's, it's hard it's to be hard. a saint in the city. <laughs> Such a long title. Like I had to scroll over and make sure I was saying all the right words. great track to close out on you know it's just hard to be a saint in the city steve it is um but 
it, it's 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 fun to groove like they're grooving there. And you know me, if it jams, love a groove. if I if it jams, I'm there. Um, <laughs> I'm there for it. But no, it has this song has a like you know we've talked about before. We did an episode one time on on uh, first tracks on an album. You know, you drop mm-hmm. the needle and and here's the first track you hear. There's also something to be said about a good closeout on an album. You know, and I think both these albums have had really good closings. I think this is a really solid one. And and this is one that I I wish would be covered by someone else as well. Like I would there like as I'm listening to this, I'm like, man, I'd love to hear some other groups get a hold of this song and, and I mean, put their spin just on you, it. Just YouTube David Bowie, it's hard to be a saint in the city. Did d- did Bowie cover this? Yeah. Well, all right. <laughs> I mean, it's not great. None of none of Bowie's Bruce's co- Bruce covers are that great. Right. But, you know. What were we watching? Was it you that was that had shown? And it was something. It was this. No, Kristen. It was not. It was a sound check from something. Uh huh. Where it was. Um. Was it a tribute to Queen? Was it a was it Freddie Mercury tribute or something? Oh, the Annie Lennox thing? The Annie Lennox thing. Yeah, that you were like, this is bad. It was awful. They were doing the sound check, and like, it was just like, what is happening here? And then I watched the actual performance. I'm like, oh, okay, it's good. It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Sometimes sound check is just bad, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. Hard to be a saint in the city. David Bowie. Listen to that bass. His voice is too smooth for this song. I know. This is like that, like, station to station, like, you know, Thin White Duke era, you know? Yeah. But also, also, like, he's put an orchestra behind everything. I mean, like, it's Bowie, you know? I know, but it's like, I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. But it does have a great jam. I, 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 jams. I'd love to hear everyone that I love um, <laughs> cover this song. This that's is, your suggestion. Just cover It's Hard to Be a Saint this by is a, Bruce. Yeah, this is a song I want to hear covered. I want to hear, um, there was a moment in Bruce's version where I'm like, and it was just like for a few measures, I'm like, wow, this sounds like a Counting Crows song. I wonder if they've ever covered this. But then I thought, I don't want them to cover this because he does weird things with his voice now. Um, <laughs> it's a no from me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, they're just, I don't know. I could hear a lot of, I, there's, I'd love to hear people cover this song. So if you have a band... And you want to cover? <laughs> it's hard to be a saint in the city and send it to us. We'll play it. We'll play your stuff. Hell yeah! Yeah, we'll be glad also, to do Also, fun that. fact: you want to know the fun fact about this song? Uh, yeah, always. I mean, when Bruce auditioned for CBS Records, this was the first song that he played. Really? For them. Well, yeah. Yes. Well, then yeah, he caught their attention <laughs> for sure. I, I'm. So, I mean, like, I really do dig the song. I dig the jam of it. You know. And I like the line about the heart is a cobra. 
What? You're so southern sometimes. <laughs> no, sometimes I'm just an old man. <laughs> so you like the cobra? I like the whole, you know, walk right, like walk like Brando and dance just like Casanova. Oh yeah. Like, oh sure. Yeah. Look, look. I had skin like leather and the diamond hard look of a cobra. This is why you think Bruce never, or this is why I think Bruce never smiles because he says things like this. I could walk like Brando <laughs> right in the him, sun. Like, oh, he's so happy. <laughs> he's so he's happy. I was the king of the alley, Mom. I could talk some trash. I was the mm. prince of the paupers, crowned downtown at the beggars bash. Now that's something Dusty Rhodes would have said in one of his wrestling promos back in the day. Because he used to also Maybe say, "He did." Well, he, what he said was. I've wined and dined with kings and queens, and I've slept in alleys and dined on pork and beans. So I can hear him say, I was the king of the alley, Mama. I could talk some trash, Daddy. The prince of the paupers. <laughs> Love it. Oh, my God. So many things happened. <laughs> <laughs> we must be at over two hours into the show. We've gotten so many references tonight, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Rock Out Loud is back. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Ric Flair. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness! So, what what's our takeaway here? In the in the in the words of the Big Honkin Show, what have we learned? We've uh, learned that producers mm-hmm. uh, really make a huge difference, for sure. And we've learned that a completely um, crazy perfectionist. Maybe like awful, awful slave driver to record an album for. Sometimes they get the better record in the end. So out of these two, you prefer the the greetings? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it has more of an identity. Mm -hmm. Like I think after listening to this, like I try to put myself back, you know, when it came out. Right. If I was listening to this, I would have an idea of who Bruce was. Mm Mm-hmm. I would not have an idea of who Aerosmith was. I would kind of. I'd be like, I think I know kind of what they are, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Whereas Bruce, I feel like, okay, got it. I I I agree with your assessment on on the on the understanding who they are right out of the gate. I I totally agree with that. But for my money, I think I would have been happier with the Aerosmith purchase. Okay. Um, and and it do, and it comes down to the, the that really the B side. All the stuff on the B side to me was so good and so jamming that that I would want more of what they have to offer. And so when you get into and and I think so it, so if in 1974, you know, I'm going back to the record store because you know, mommy and daddy aren't that rich. I can only buy one one or two records a year. Um, so so if I if I am if I'm back at the record store in 1974 and there, and there's Bruce, you know, and there's another Aerosmith, I may be picking up Aerosmith first. Um, Interesting. Just because of the way it left me. Now I don't regret buying the Bruce album necessarily, but I think that like I said, like I told you that last track, that walk in the dog, I'm going to wear the grooves out on that record. Uh, <laughs> just playing that over and over again. Well, and here's the thing, too. Like you said earlier, like you wish that the Bruce record was more plugged in. Like it is very acoustic. Right, right. Where the Aerosmith record, like, yeah, 
it might be like, yeah, you know, their their influences are there mm-hmm. and, you know, it doesn't sound like Aerosmith that we've come to know, but it's definitely a more rockin' record. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And and that's what I kind of want out of my music. I mean, you know, from and that, and I think that's always been kind of the thing that defines the two of us as well, though. It's like yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel the jam, you feel the lyrics. And then, and then, what gets born out of that is me looking stupid, not knowing things, and being completely gobsmacked by certain things. But now, get your—I've got to say this because I have listened to "Get Your Wings," um, you know, and they open with "Same Old Song and Dance," and so you're immediately into that Aerosmith sound right out of the gate yes. on on there. Um, and so, but then the rest of it is just kind of, it's kind of there. Like there's some songs again on that, that album that I'm like, I wish they'd push this a little further this way or do this a little differently. But what you've got, a, you've got a group that, uh, that is more confident, you know? I mean, I'm not going to lie, when we were going to do just an Aerosmith show, like mm-hmm. Lord of the Thighs was going to be one of my songs. Yeah, yeah. That, and, and they're having fun there with that the song. Jam. Yeah, it is. You're right. It is. Um, so so yeah, I look, it, you know we love Bruce, you know I love Bruce. That that's one thing the show has given to me. Um <laughs> for sure. You know, but uh but when it, it started as forced, but you know. Well, yeah, I mean, look, did you force Bruce on me? Yes. Am I glad that that happened? Yes. <laughs> you know. Oh. Uh so but but that's what this show is. This show is just it's not just it's the discovery of music, it is the celebration of music. It is it is it is moments like this where we take two albums and kind of compare and contrast them. And I think it's I think I've had a blast doing this. I have too. This was so much fun. Like a great audible call, man. And so I I think that, you know, here's the call I'm going to put out to everyone who's listening. Are there two albums of the same era? Now, we don't want to compare, you know, you don't want to compare Get 84 a, to 96 right they came out the same day though right <laughs> right you you don't want to you don't want to compare yeah you don't want to compare two different eras and say but is are there are there two groups or two artists from the same era that kind of released albums around the same time that you want to hear compared and contrasted on this show hit us up rockoutloudpod at gmail.com rockoutloudpod at gmail.com um just over the course of the past few days, we've had ideas, you know, for for more things. Of course, this was supposed to start. This was starting out as an Aerosmith uh, look at that group, and it turned into this. But uh, now we've got fast lyrics. We're going to do the Springsteen live thing at some point. We almost look, famous. Almost famous is coming up. So look, the ideas are flowing once again. Rock out loud is the gift that keeps on giving, ladies and gentlemen. And we've only been back for two episodes. Love it. So, <laughs> so there. We're back, baby. <laughs> George is back. He's um, back. <laughs> He's not upset. <laughs> I love that Kristen identifies with George Costanza of all people. George and Elaine, man. I mean, come on. You got the kicks going at the at the dance. Oh, I love a good high kick. There you go. <laughs> Well, Elaine does little kicks. She's I know, but if you see me at a killer show, I'm high kicking all over. Well, the place. sure you are. Sure you are. <laughs> Do we want to get right? And that wraps it up for us here on Rock Out Loud. Again, the email is rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. We've got a Goliverse group of all the different Goliverse uh, uh, 
shows uh, over on Facebook. You can get there by going to geekoutonline.com slash group. It is private, so you'll have to kind of just put in what shows you listen to. It'll ask you some questions to get in. But we'd love to have you getting over there. And just like any good rock and roll, we want you to disrupt the, the status quo in that group. Where everyone's talking about Star Wars and Marvel and DC, come in there and drop a little bit of uh, drop a little bit of Bon Jovi, drop a little Def Leppard, drop a little bit of uh, Dirty Honey, you know, yeah. drop drop some struts, whatever you know. But get in there and 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 get involved with the rest of the Goaliverse. We have a good time. Or if you just want to head over to our Facebook page, uh, just look for Rock Out Loud on Facebook, and uh, we're on Twitter. At Rock Out Loud Pod, I believe is what we are. I haven't been on Twitter in so long. The I, the most I've been on Twitter lately was for the actual marathon. Yeah, I'm not kept, on a lot either. Where but. I kept tweeting stuff out. But if you want to get us there, really, the be- yeah, it's at Rock Out Loud Pod on Twitter. The best way, truly, 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 to get in touch with us is rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. And so, Chef David Chang, if you're still out there, hit us up, you know. Alex, Matthew, Jamie, who sent us a piano version of a strut song that I don't know that we've talked about from uh, One Night Only. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so we have... Next time, flag it. Yeah, I'll flag it. We haven't talked about it yet, so um, all kinds of stuff. So, hey, we'd love to hear from you. Rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. It's been a blast. Kristen, thank you so much for doing this. Until next time, I'm Steve. I'm Kristen. We'll see you on the next Rock Out Loud. Rock on, everybody. Rock on, guys. Bye. I like this part. Do you think the reason, like, uh, Metallica did the S&M thing with the symphony and other people went to symphony was because of that part of, rock, of uh, Let's Get Rock? Let's go with that, yes. <laughs>